when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hello. You found Waypoints, where the Waypoint staff and friends take a break to nerd out and deep dive on the culture, art, entertainment, and electronics that have been inspiring and provoking <laughs> us lately. Stupid. Gather what around the table think? this week, we've got Patrick Klepek. Hello. Renata Price. Howdy. Our producer, Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick. Yeah. We don't usually talk. Well, actually, that's the lie I was going to say. We don't usually talk. We don't usually talk about Actually, we do at extensively and at great length. So, but usually not in waypoints. But that's actually because waypoints we just don't do that often. Anyway, mm-hmm. last I heard, you were going to the ends of the earth to avoid paying full fare <laughs> on a Sonos speaker. Okay, so what ha- sore version is Illinois passed a law. Biometrics, bunch of lawsuits happening. I get a four hundred dollar check out of nowhere, and I decide to myself, I'm going to buy a really nice outdoor speaker for a deck. Get a Sonos Move. Everyone says it's great. I really love this thing. I tried to get buy one from Best Buy. They were going to drop it off the same day before we went on a trip. They did not drop it off, so I ordered another one from Best Buy that I picked up on the way to the trip. And so I had ordered two Sonos Moves, one that uh, was in the process of being canceled, and the other one that I picked up. Seems like we should be fine. Then I find out Sonos is having a 20% off sale on Sonos Moves within the 14-day window that I purchased this thing. And my thought is, that's 80 bucks. That's pretty reasonable. I asked my wife, and she goes, that does seem reasonable. You should return that to Best Buy, then buy another one from Sonos. And, you know, yes, we're in various states of purchasing, refunding on our credit card, but it's fine. Then an inspired Waypoint reader writes in and says, Hey, Patrick, heard about your Sonos Move thing. I'm not going to read their whole email. Everyone on this email should read it because there's some really interesting Yahoo anime rules about how Best Buy's policies work that that you should know about and think about. But we can't tell anyone on this podcast about because we don't want to blow up that person's spot or potentially our own spots. But what's relevant for this story is they said, hey, Best Buy is hyper aggressive about price matching and they want you to keep it at the store. If it's within the 14 day return window, uh... He's like, look, actually, Best Buy is already price matched. Sonos is 20% off. Just talk to customer service and they'll uh, they'll get you that. And so it's like, OK. So in the middle of a meeting yesterday, I like got in the queue with Best Buy's customer service chat window. It's like, hey, can you price match this? I'm in the 14 day window. I'm like, sure. Got it. 20 minutes later, get an email price matched, getting the $80 back. But I also have the Sonos one coming, which they, in their, their whole pitch is, hey, in 45 days, you can return it. No questions asked. And I was like, okay, well, all right, so now I'm at three Sonuses that have been purchased in this credit card in the span of two weeks. But that's fine. I'll just I'll just return it. Um uh and I hadn't shipped yet. And so I kind of had a, another chat window at Sonos customer service. I'm like, hey, could you cancel this for me? I actually got one at Best Buy at the discounted rate. 
Um, I really like it. And I appreciate it. I could just cancel. I'm like, sure. Got it. Pause, pause, pause. They come back. It's already being prepared in the factory. I've sent a note to the factory, but there's a chance that it's just going to get shipped and just return it. I'm like, okay, not a big deal. We'll just deal with that. Get a shipment notification from Sonos. Your Sonos move is on the way. It'll be there on Friday. Three hours later, your Sonos moves has shipped. It'll be there on Friday. I'm like, hmm, why, why am I getting two Sonos moves? Go to Sonos's website. And there are the same order number, but two Sonos moves that shipped separately. I have, did I just get the text message from my wife? I have not. I don't have access to the statement on that credit card. I can't tell. Sonos, stop listening. Am I getting two Sonos moves charged for only one? And is a world where I end up with stereo <laughs> Sonos moves. I'm currently at a pace of have, or there's a different world where I've had four Sonos moves charged to my credit card in the span of two weeks, three of which are, have been returned and are in various states of roughly $2,000 worth of charges onto my credit card in flux of being refunded. That's where I'm at. I love art and learning and kind of like sitting with my coworkers and engaging with things that we don't know about, you know, and kind of like approaching, approaching untapped knowledge. And I'm really glad, Patrick, that you kind of chose to foray into this, into this, the deal space. So we didn't have to. (laughs) Oh, Patrick didn't foray. He lives out there. I was born. It's actually, he comes in from From this like wild frontier occasionally, like a, like a trapper. Uh, in, in old colonial times, like Patrick coming in with deals and it's like, Patrick, we haven't seen you for a season and like coupons fall from his bags and rebates. And we're like, oh my goodness, you, you brought such wealth and treasures home. Uh, that's, that's how Patrick is. When, Uh, after, after I purchased the one on Sonos's website with the 20% discount, a neighbor of mine, uh, texted me he was like oh hey did you know that it's like it's not honey like the coupon place but it's something similar where you can get discounts on various websites it's like, it looks like you could have stacked another six percent maybe you should just buy another and return the first one i was like no <laughs> i refuse i will i will not i will not get to 26 percent this is this is but i'll be back oh, yeah we'll probably back on monday will i have will we have two well, I might, did, I would did you accidentally? The real, the real question is: Did you accidentally charge yourself twice somehow, or did they? Are they accidentally sending you two? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I got two separate shipment notifications. Like yeah, the, sh- like the shipment, the tracking numbers are different. So <laughs> you're getting two. So, I'll just mention this because mm-hmm. I saw some people ask after all my adventures with. <laughs> issues with appliances uh, and little uh, sensible upgrades to home theater systems. I saw people ask, like, is this a bit or is there a chance like Rob's not good with money? <laughs> and I'm going to like I'm just going to like reveal some things here uh, so that just everyone knows where things stand. And also so that like you understand some things to watch out for. First of all, it is a known issue that people with ADHD tend to be bad with money uh it is like <laughs> it is a risk among the adhd like afflicted population they're more at risk of like going broke and like having experiencing financial hardship that them's just the facts so how does that happen how does it work well <laughs> uh let's say at the start of a month you're like you know what things seem like they're going pretty well i need a savings account 
to get right with my money. And so you get a savings account and you start like stocking money away in there. And then you realize, but then the lot hit on that hit on that credit card in the last month, like a lot that wasn't really supposed to be there ended up on the credit card. But you realize, hey, it's the end of the month. The credit card period is ending between savings and checking. I got enough to pay that thing off. And then you just do it. And you're like, yeah, all right, be responsible, paying off that credit card. And you checked. You made sure that you were good for your, like, first of the month expenses, all the stuff that hits up in the first couple days. And you just don't think that, like, time continues to, like, run (laughs) forward. And that, like, bills continue to get paid Uh on other dates that aren't the first or second. Uh (laughs) On the 7th. Frequently, like, the 15th. On the 9th. Yeah. And... The pay cycle advice is every two weeks. So it was like, I paid like all the money I'm going to get with the exception of like the Patreons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I paid off. Now, the Patreon money is good, but it comes in a bit irregularly uh, because it's passing through a couple LLCs. And also, usually it's not what I'm relying on completely to live. But sometimes you just wake up and you're like, oh. There's $60 in checking right now. And it would appear that an emergency, emergency transfer of like 300 went from savings into, into checking. So now there's only like 50 in savings. And they just have to white knuckle it for a couple days. <laughs> and so that's that's where I'm at right now. I was like, I'm going to oh, order breakfast. Fuck. No, I'm no, not. No, I am not ordering breakfast. Toast sounds great, actually. Yep. Yep, I am I am stoked to eat this bag this box of like Jimmy Dean breakfast sandwiches I excavated at the bottom of the deep freeze. And I'm Isn't like, it a little bit freezer that burn? Forever. That's fine. You just heat that up and you know what happens to ice? It goes, it goes away. away. It There's melts. a protective yeah. freezer burn over it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you gotta you gotta get on the fucking DOS budget app situation, by the way. This is the only thing that has helped Rob me. Rob loves a new management tool. Yeah. Uh, so I'm on. I'm have- on Simplify, um, which I do hate. That interface fucking blows. Uh, I I do hate Simplify, but it is, Wait, what is currently Simplify? where everything is at. Um, it is. Got it. Is run by one of the big uh, budget software companies. Uh, I think it's like it might be QuickBooks. It's their like consumer facing, okay. uh, like personal budget. Quicken, Quicken runs Simplify. Uh, and it's got like analytical and like planning tools, but it's just kind of clunky. Um, mm. so it's less useful than I hoped. We really haven't found a replacement for um simple checking. This is uh, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, DOS budget is that. It's basically like DOS I, Capital or DOS like disk operating system, <laughs> like DOS Capital, but it's actually dollar and dollar and cents, like like your yeah, mind gotcha. sense oh. uh, but it is it is stylized oh. dos all capital das budget which i think they're making a dos capital joke um but it is essentially they just ripped the simple like mechanics and interface and we're like here we can make this now for everyone and you just have to attach whatever bank you're using to it um but i searched far and wide for something to replace simple after they went under because those those uh specific 
features were the only thing that allowed my brain to not do yep. exactly exactly what you described like most of my life well and it's like uh, it's like the minute like the minute i checked my i was like you dumbass <laughs> because it's like i know i have condo uh, fees yeah. i know that yeah no but I mean, like, it's like i just didn't yeah and, and i mentioned this only because like it's fine it's it's good like there's places that like the money's going to come in. Everything will be fine. But, like, this shit just happens. Mm-hmm. And it happens. Like, I consider myself a pretty smart guy. But, like, this is just my experience of life, which is, like, I see a problem. I'm going to fix it. I feel good about fixing that problem. Oh, no. Right behind <laughs> it, I have now created multiple problem. other problems. Yeah. 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 No. Definitely look into DOS budget, though, because it's, it's basically simple. That you can attach to any bank you have so it's been yeah. very very useful sometimes the transactions are like a little slower on getting in it's not instant it's like end of day usually but it's better than nothing i think <laughs> or it's better than a lot of the other apps that are like more yeah. about showing you information and saying that like letting you figure out the budget yourself where this is like no you can there's the tool that will pull the money every time you get like yeah. on your paycheck date it will pull the money into a different pool so you don't see it but it's saved there for all the things that you've been put in so you just put in all your bills everything that's regular i don't even have yeah. to think about i've auto paid all my internet and everything and like it pulls out automatically so i don't have to think about it like at all basically um it's kind of amazing it's the only reason that i and probably not, you know, many. I'd say it's wild many like banks don't have that stuff already, but they want you to do the overdraft fees. So I guess it's not wild that they don't have stuff like that built in already. Yeah, no, they straight up. That's how they make money. Yeah, they're fucking screwing over people on fees, which also turn off overdrafts. It's not worth it. It's never worth it. <laughs> how is Lumen making money? One of the who? My only the company from Severance. Um, trying to do a transition then Ren has a point to make so it's fine one of the only reasons that I um, am able to function as a person as as a woman with severe ADHD um, is I just the the check the savings account to me that is a trap the savings account is a trap to me I keep all of my money in one account so in my brain I'm like this is the amount of money you have do not spend more than this amount of money because this is the amount of money you have and if it's split into two accounts my brain will be like mm, we can get to the bottom of that sh- a checking account because we got some in savings and that is not that is not the play that is that is not the fucking play my <laughs> friend and so it's all in one place where I can be like no if you can actually be like no and that and that's right, that's, right. like the, that's the, the minute the money is like in a place where it's like that's what I got to play right. that is not conducive to long term yeah. thinking and so the theory behind the checking was like we're going to get money that we just don't touch but immediately and I will say like it was extraordinary circumstances in the last month right needed to touch that money but right. yes it's like but I think for me it's like I'm going to struggle with any system because right. like I'm just wired to do this shit I am just wired to be like, I have a weird fixation on not wanting a credit card balance. I am going to destroy my finances for the next two weeks to avoid paying like $50 in interest. That's the other thing is that I think that like growing up, like I, I grew up in a in a very 
credit card averse family because uh, for reasons uh, my family's like finances were fucking devastated uh, and my mom had to rebuild it from the ground up. And so my mom was extremely sensitive about purchasing growing up. And so in my mind, that's why I just never bought a credit card because I'm like, I don't want a credit card. I already have built credit through other means. I am not getting a credit card because I know the the stress and horror which it will wreak upon me. Uh, and so I just do not touch it because I yeah. know that I, I know that I do not need it and am fine without one. Um, yeah. And my situation, my parents definitely demolished their finances with credit cards and mortgages. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I'm not going to do that. And then my bank was like, Hey King, <laughs> saw your balance went up. So we raised your balance. We raised your limit. Get out there, <laughs> get out there and spend. <laughs> and I was like, damn. All right. Anyway, so that's that's the whole appliance and uh, electronics update for now. Uh, now to resume waypoints. The last couple weeks, we've all been watching Severance, uh, the Ben Stiller produced and mostly directed series on Apple Plus, which stars Adam Scott alongside a strong ensemble cast. Uh, lots of folks suggested this one to us in the wake of our conversations around Citizen Sleeper and having watched the first season, it's, it's not hard to see why. Uh, to set the stage a little bit. Severance is a suspenseful corporate satire that follows a group of workers in the mysterious Macrodata Refinement Department of the equally mysterious Lumen Industries. To do this uh, unintelligibly secret work, all the employees there have agreed to undergo a severance procedure that splits their working life off from their waking life. At the start of each workday, the moment they cross the boundary of the severed zones at Lumen's corporate campus, they lose all memories of their lives outside work. They are beings who only know life within the office. At the end of the day, when they cross back, they regain their memories and resume their normal lives with no recollection of where they have been or what it is they do for those eight hours every day. Uh, but the status quo is jeopardized right at the start of the series by two events. The arrival of a new employee, Holly, played by Britt Lower, and the mysterious departure of an old one, Petey. Uh, at Lumen, uh, Hallie's severed persona immediately rejects the notion of living a life where she knows only work at Lumen and begins trying to find a way to rescind or escape her agreement to become a severed employee. Meanwhile, Adam Scott's protagonist, Mark Scout, is sought out in his regular life by his old severed compatriot, Petey, who reveals to him that severance is an evil practice dreamed up by an evil company. And so from both ends, Lumen's control over its macrodata refinement employees begins to unravel across the rest of this nine episode uh, first season. I'm going to flag that this episode does assume that everyone has watched the series, but we will for the first half of the show, at least uh, discuss our reactions a bit more broadly, as well as the overall themes of the show before we begin hitting some of the many major reveals and plot twists of the series closing episodes. So if you want no spoilers at all, you should probably bail out here. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our financial and electronics update. Uh, if you're only a little ways into the series or are somewhat someone wondering if it is something you want to get invested in, I would say stick with us until the break. Uh, so gang, I am curious what first impressions you had of the series and if they were different from your final impressions. I would say my first my first immediate impression of Severance was that it is a surprisingly beautiful show just in terms of like its shot composition and and like 
and it is a very good looking TV show that has like, that is like pretty brilliantly put together. The first thing that like hit for me was that like, oh, cool. This is doing things with um, framing the shot composition that are legitimately surprising to me already. The opening shot is literally of a woman laying on a table and it is like from an above perspective and it is, it is really brilliant. It's so good. Um, I, I think it's a very gorgeous show and that persists through the end of the series. Uh, my first impression was great. Another prestige TV drama. I don't have time for this click onto the next one. Um, which is not to say that I watched the pilot and then had an impression. It's just this show. I saw the trailer. The reviews are like, this show seems pretty good. And it was like, cool onto the stack way at the back. Like I'll get to this later, I guess. Um, and, uh, I generally like stuff that pierces through is I, I generally like I don't follow a lot of like video game reviews to like guide what I make part of like because of my job or even movies like I sort of just trust my gut or like friends or Letterboxd. But like, on TV of which uh, there's just so fucking much mm-hmm. it is just impossible to try and determine what is actually worth my time when I'm barely keeping up with the shows that are in like six, you know, six, seven seasons and things like that. Uh, but I followed this this TV critic, Al, uh, Alan Steppenwall, for years. He used to be at a place called HitFix, and he's at Rolling Stone. And basically, like, when he gives a show, like, five stars, or, like, starts to go, like, you should pay attention. Like, I, like, sort of move it up the list. Like, uh, For All Mankind is on that list now. Like, he just won't shut it's up It's been on there that. for ages for me. I'm, like, so keen <laughs> to try that. He, he most recently wrote that the... I think it's the third season, which is, like, just starting, which is also on Apple TV+, Plus. is, like, it is elevated to like one of the best science fiction shows in the last 20 years by his ah, estimation. Shit. So I was like, okay, ah, fuck shit. it. But it also is a show that unlike severance, uh, does not hit the ground running. It's very much a, would you like to get to the ha- the, the, you know, halfway through the season before it kicks in full gear. Whereas mm. severance, boy, when I, I mean, uh, the thing that restricted me here was like, this was a show that my wife was also really into. She goes to bed early and uh, I was hooked from the jump. And it was, I was so tempted every night to be like, well, well, as Rob tried to get me to do a couple weeks ago, and I was like, hey, <laughs> my wife's really into the show. We watch stuff together. It's kind of our thing. And we were, we were thinking about doing a podcast on this. Uh, I was like, I have two more to go. And he's like, well, you could just, you could simply lie. I was like, I just, I don't think, some shows you could. I There's not, a, not a, now having seen the whole show, you Rob, can. not a fucking you, chance. You so I, I think I would have a hard finale. time selling my reaction to the final episode is what I would say. And certainly yeah. to a reveal Two episodes before that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Two of the photographs, so right? The, fo- yes. the photo. The photograph specifically. Ah! I, finished, I finished the show yesterday. I am going to read you a transcript of my messages to my girlfriend as I was finishing the final episode. Uh, the final episodes. <clears throat> this show is legitimately haunting to me. Holy shit, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. It's so good. I'm pissing. I'm gonna die. Oh my god, I'm pissing. I'm gonna scream. I'm gonna scream. I'm gonna piss and scream. <laughs> Jesus, this show. It's really sharp. I mean, like, that's all, all to say. Really sharp, interesting. As we go through this, I'm going to... I apologize in advance for the amount of parallels. I'm going to take this show, like, does not exist without Lost and structurally, mm-hmm. and its mystery box mm-hmm. is built upon. This is Dharma initiative, the show. Um... <laughs> We'll get so, into that because I'm so curious think, how this show a- tries to answer similar questions that shows like Lost, you know, which is now t- fucking almost 20 years old. I Jesus. <laughs> don't like that. Um, and we'll get into that as we talk through it, but it's a really 
smart, sharp uh, show that uh, the one thing I would take away from this conversation, if if you haven't watched it yet, is like, p- put it to the top of your stack. Uh, like, yeah. like, there's so much to watch. I get it. And I am as constrained in time as anyone else. But this show is so sharp and there's just no fat. It is just extremely lean and fun and interesting and dramatic. And it is just, it, it is certainly one of the best things I've seen in recent years, even as we exist in a time in which there are so many shows that, that feel like that. So and I liked the show. Mm-hmm. I think I'm actually the coldest on it of anyone here, unless Kato, you were joining me in my house of ambivalence. <laughs> no, absolutely not. All right. The no, opposite. Kato's the one when I said I'm watching the finale yeah. tonight. He, it wasn't a chortle or a grunt. It was just like his body just like I made an involuntary made a noise. noise. Yeah. <laughs> so I would. So I think I, I alluded to this before. I think part of it is some of the show. I don't necessarily know that it's a through a fault of its own, but this show arrives after uh, for me like two shows that absolutely operate in its wheelhouse uh, i alluded to one uh counterpart which was a star series starring jk simmons uh about um basically like a parallel dimension opens up and triggers sign of a kind of a very strange cold war where you have your doppelganger who lives in this parallel universe you and a big part of it is uh it's it's a brilliant show cannot praise it highly enough but in terms of like for instance, a thing they lay out at the start of this series is you like have a meeting with the board, right? And people bring out a weird speaker and the board are like this weird godlike presence. Uh, like counterpart uses that conceit like right out of the gate is like all these secret agents waging the spy war are getting their orders from like a magic speaker box uh, that like seems to like have dubious, tenuous connection uh, to reality as we know it. Um, the other one is is we t- a show we t- did talk about on Waypoint, uh, which was Homecoming, uh, which was a similar sort of corporate uh, suspense mystery uh, that touched on a they similar did a second season of that, didn't they? they I didn't, I, it didn't feel like anybody watched that second season. It, yeah, like Austin did like say like it's not as good. Um, it's it's like a different it's a different thing, it's a different cast. Uh, but I it's something I, I've heard. If you did really like sit for the first season, like the second season is good enough that it's it's probably worth checking out. But I also found like the first episode, like just the way it sets up these mysteries and lays them out was so familiar at this point. And I found the first episode like really alarmingly slow paced, actually, uh, in, in terms of like the table setting going on and like the kind of heavy handed uh visual and like classical illusions it's drawing from and i'm sitting there like i could feel like i'm just being like there's a there's a a lot of like bait being put out to keep me invested in a show that seemed uh pretty derivative and like slow paced and so like mk bailed out like at the end of that episode she's like "I, i just i'm not here for it i'm out and that probably ended up I don't get to binge that many shows with MK uh, because like she's very busy. And so, and also she just doesn't hurt. Like a good time for her is not let's sit down and watch three hours of TV. But for me, if I'm really into a show, three hours of TV is just right. Mm. (laughs) And like, I ask people, you know, that I, that I trust, like, you know, 
hey, like, is this really worth? I heard I read really good reviews, but like, I don't know, I'm feeling it. And I was just told like, stick with it. Uh, Austin was like, you gotta. It's worth checking out for the John Turturro and Christopher Walken stuff later. And I was like, Christopher Walken. <laughs> and so I did stick around and I was blessed slash cursed with a heat wave uh, to bring it back to the earlier appliance and electronics and and uh, expense discussion uh, earlier. And so for like two days, I'm just sitting there like in this uncooled apartment, just like melting in the first heat wave of the year. And all I could do was like, I am just going to drink cool beverages. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to continue watching Severance. And it did end up winning me over pretty completely as we got into, like, as we moved out of, like, table setting and into, like, investigations of where the characters are at and just really leaning into kind of the weird, um, yeah, like, suspense thriller vibe of the show. I was really expecting something much more like comically satirical. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. is a satirical work, but like but taken deadly seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like more Hitchcock than like uh like Brazil, right? Is is kind of the the way I put it. Um and and so I did end up like by the end I was hooting and hollering and like that the last like three, like from the moment a reveal arrives late in the season through the end, I was like, I'm just, I'm, I'm here. Like I, I hit the exact worst reveal you could hit at like midnight when you should be thinking about going to bed. Uh-huh. And I was just like, all right, we're powering through. Well, shit. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So, I think. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I feel like, um, a lot of the table setting ended up working for me. Like it, it caught me pretty quickly, but I still think there were interesting or like, um, they're not twists really, but like surprises as to where the focus of the show ends up landing as far as some of its themes, which seem like with, when you see the opening of the show, you're like, this could go one of two ways, right? We're going to like drill down into some ideology or we're going to like, kind of ignore that and make it about the mystery boxes only. And like, they actually do a really, I think, interesting job about uh, weaving both of those sorts of threads. For now, there's a world in which this should only have been one season. This ends on an extremely brilliant note and there's nothing more because if you've, Right, like I people feel want, like we're people want sh- people want a plan. Things like shows like Lost, like they answered all your questions. The, 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 the reality is, the answers are usually unsatisfying for these 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 puzzle box stories. And like I think this show has a much stronger character found foundation, like yeah. character first foundation. But the only and maybe the, we should table this for for later. Like, but like in just generally speaking, if like you're thinking of investing in this show, um, the the only way for this show to go in the future. Is to start, is to start telling you what were they doing with those like why are they <laughs> and I'm sorry there is no there probably is no satisfying answer to that because the satisfying answer is like more in your head over like what could I have I have that's, theories that's interesting actually and odd. I know huh? I have I have theories about that and we should definitely talk well, about yeah, them we in can the get second into those. I just mean yeah. I, I, I this show has structural worries that. Uh, Maybe the characters will 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 take it through, and I actually have confidence. Like actually, much like Lost, like the characters carry through like bad answers or like frustrating mystery resolutions. But uh, it does give me pause on like 
it's so much easier to go around a mysterious hallway and have a mysterious door. And you're like, isn't this mysterious? Before you have to then explain. Eventually you have to show what's on the side of that door. Yeah. 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 Um, I did want to talk about, uh, Ren, you alluded to how beautiful the series is. And I do think like both in Lumen HQ and then in the world outside of it, I think it's a really interesting production design this this whole series does have and like the two the two levels of the world like have distinct aesthetics but Mm -hmm. also at the same time feel very much like two halves of a hall and i'm curious like what people felt was the what like were the motifs of this world i mean i I think the the whole show is hyper saturated right like the entire TV show is is just lightly hypersaturated. It's clearest in the in Lumen itself. Um, in Lumen itself, the hypersaturation is like pretty clear because you're seeing stark white compared to a bunch of like big primary colors. But outside, the hypersaturation persists. And I think that like the TV show has a really interesting idea of like what a specific kind of liberal class, like a, a specific kind of liberal class looks like and is deeply fascinated and dismissive of that class in a way that becomes a motif and aesthetic in and of itself that begins with the dinner party where no one's eating food, right? That is like the, the, the they keep returning to and referencing is the idea of the dinner party where no one eats food, which like, again, mirrors the the workplace where no one actually does work. It is all about the performance of doing work as part of something. Yeah, I think there's a like in the um within Lumen, I think it's a really interesting space where it is yes, there's like the endless uh like blank corridors, but also all the office design is very like like the, even their computer terminals is a little bit Jetsons and just very like mid-century modern. Uh, there's the decision really interesting, like at the start to sort of let you know what you're in for the fact that they have a giant, like um, stone slab in their atrium with a profile um, uh, relief of their founder Mm-hmm. who does not look unlike Marx. Like, it is very, like, it, it is a very, like, giant proportion Soviet-style piece of, like, art, but it is in the honor of this corporate founder whose, like, teachings and wisdom have taken on, like, religious, like, overtly religious overtones within this otherwise, like, really bog-standard company with... Uh, you know, 1960s office design and overhead lighting, and then yeah, out in out in the world, uh, it is like the people you meet, you're intensely alienated from this poltroonish liberal class, and the entire world is like sort of the strivers' uh version of like sleek modernism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit like. I guess the like the buildings gently everywhere people live pretty much uh, seems to be trying to like draw from like modern architecture ideas. And then it's like furnished with we robbed an Ikea or we or like we we pulled the truck up to uh, like a design within reach and like broke the locks off uh, and and took stuff from there. And so you have this this clash of like a really um, empty empty comfort 
of like uh middle class aesthetics uh and then you have this like that is juxtaposed against this this really strange uh like world of work that mm-hmm. everyone is inhabiting um before we get into like the really weird shit in severance which is like all like black corridors and like long like narrow passages but i think it's a uh i think like it ends up being a really striking show uh in mm-hmm. a lot of ways and the, the restrained color palette that they're they're drawing it's from I think, like punches up that saturation <laughs> i i also think that like the other thing for me is that both halves of the show are extremely dreamlike like both both yeah. halves have a very dreamlike feel to them and that's kind of like that is another one of the things that like I didn't care about a lot of aspects of the puzzle box. I don't give a shit about the goats. I don't give a shit about what people's actual jobs are because they're playing in this like very odd dream space and are super fascinated by it. And so the metaphorical and allegorical work that all of these things are doing is so like effective for me that I just couldn't bring myself to like care about the puzzle box really at all. Um, And like the characters pulled me all the way through in addition to like what I see is like a, I think, pretty excellently constructed, like, metaphor and allegorical, like, landscape. I think it is, like, brilliantly constructed um, from that lens. The dreamlike quality, um, I think part of it, for me, part of it is our primary lens into this world is Mark, um, Mark, Mark Scout. And the nature of his severance is that, and this is established in the first episode, we find him like a broken, like grief stricken man heading into the office. And the minute he goes through like the severance boundary, he's an Adam Scott character in a lot of ways. Right. <laughs> like, and, by the way, Adam Scott, like a hall of fame, all time, like guy for starring in workplace comedies, like party down. Yeah. Uh, and um, parks and rec. And then this just a man of the people. Yeah, he's like he's got like I don't know, our generation's Fred McMurray, maybe, but just this this guy who's like, we need we need sort of an everyman who like will be weirdly likable and will be the anchor of this like Like just attractive enough, but not distractingly so. Like you can understand why like someone would want to fuck him. Not like right away. But it's not like it's not like George Clooney, what are you doing at Severance? You're gonna bust this place wide open, right? Like what do you you're not gonna you're gonna stick around Lumen. But like like, Adam Scott's gonna figure this out? Really? Yeah. And so the but the the thing that they do that's really effective here, and I think this is like also been one of his like trademarks, is that He's a guy who like is very good at playing superficially, like keeping it together, and then like bottomless well of sadness beneath that uh, in these roles, and that he is that is the basis of his character here, uh, which is that at work he's just your normal everyman coworker, and then out in the out in the world outside Lumen, uh, he is recently widowed, um, a middling to low function alcoholic. Uh, let's say I would say low. He he seems like yeah, he's trying, yeah. <laughs> but even the alcoholic part, he doesn't seem very good at. You know what I mean? Like you know, it's almost like he wants to be an alcoholic because he has nothing going for him. But like he's there's nothing happening in his life. Period. Um, 
at all. Not even yeah. it seems like that much drink. It's not even the show like constantly presents him as like. Well, he's often trying to slow down drinking. I think is the thing is we do not see him on too many benders in this. Mm-hmm. He is in that stage where he knows it's getting bad and becoming noticeable. And so I think like there's a point midway through where we do see him be like, fuck it. I'm going to really like get into my cups and start saying what I think. And it's like, oh my God, very familiar. But like, I think for a lot of it, he is in that stage where you're like, people are starting to comment and notice. And so a lot of it is, I think he's an alcoholic, but a lot of times you are seeing him try to consciously, like I should try to slow this down. Yeah, um, people have also have given him a lot of personal, like, hey, he's having a tough time because of what happened to him. Like, of course, people are going to have slip ups. Of course, he's going to have a little bit too much to drink. And so there's not not exactly, you know, he's surrounded by you're not surrounded, but like has close family and friends. But, you know, in some ways you get the sense that, you know, a form of like enabling because like, of course, he's going to be like, (laughs) of course, things aren't going well for him. Like his entire world fell apart. Right. And I also think that like is part of the show's primary thesis to me as like this is as much as a show about capitalism is also a show about grief um that is like deeply deeply interested in and invested in grief as like the thing motivating basically all of its characters um whether it be the grief for the life they feel like they should have had um grief for a specific person um that's i mean that's the turning point for a major character in the show is when he experiences grief for the first time um And I think that, like, it is a really strong motivating presence throughout the show that I think it does interesting things with. And, like, the work you can do while talking simultaneously about grief and capitalism is, I think, really, really effective and interesting. Um, And it's why I really like Mark as a character. Mark as a character's, both characters of Mark, I think, are really strong and like well-developed and interesting and i want to watch a show about each of them and i think that is part of like the strength is i think a lesser show would have made one of them the primary and one of them the secondary so this actually so this is there's a pete like will this become a piece i don't know but i think one of the other things this the show is doing for talking about like theses as the show is clear to lay out the severed personas are complete people yeah and Part of part of its metaphor, I think, is that like it's arguing that the structure of work itself creates a weird rift and boundary in anyone who does a job. You become your your work self and you have this complete like life that's kind of invisible to your like family or or, or friends outside uh, outside of work. And to a degree, like everyone just has to deal with that split and the fact that like there are these sort of siloed relationships and identities uh based on like context here all that is literalized and the boundary is hard but i i do think like one of the really great things here that they pull off is uh ren i fully would have expected it too where like um there's a very easy version of this where the the severed personas are just like blank little drones right stepford workers and instead, yeah, like midway through this, I'm like, all right, cool. Time to check in on the severed floor. All right. Now we're going. <laughs> now work's done. Time to hang out with Mark and his family. Yeah. And like the fact that at no point was I like, oh, I want to stick with that other plot. I was always mm-hmm. like, cool. Yeah. Like ready to get into this other stuff. That's hard for a show to pull off just in general mm-hmm. uh, to have 
all the players sort of playing two ver but especially Adam Scott play two versions of themselves right. is really something. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 Adam Scott's performances here are are pretty excellent. I would say there are moments in both of them of like, God, the there's a scene early on in the series, and this I wouldn't consider this a spoiler, yeah. where um, uh, Milchik. Also, Milchik's performance is haunting. Oh my god! I don't know the actor's name, but mm-hmm. the person who plays Mil- Seth Milchik is is a haunting presence in this show. He's yes. absolutely killing it, um, and he's like a character who is terrifying in ways that other that other characters in the show just aren't. Which is like Tremel really, Tillman. Tremel Tillman. Um, but there's a scene where after um, a character attempts self harm. Uh, she then shows up to work the seconds after uh, because her persona is for her persona. It has been seconds since she attempted. Uh, And then waking up to the immediate trauma of one still being alive uh, and two being back in the place that caused her, that pushed her to do that. Milchik tells uh, Adam Scott's character, Mark S to smile and is like, Make your eyes kind. And you can look as you can see Mark S as a character trying to understand what that means and trying to do the corporate style of that, which he's just fucking bad at. Like this dude does not have kind eyes, but he is a kind person. And Mm -hmm. as he tries to like bridge this gap and bridge with the fact that like his workplace is entirely performative, like you're saying, Rob. And as he's trying to break through that performative layer to actually care about a person for a second, and she's not having it because he starts with the performance, and that is the worst place to start on it's for also someone who's just experienced that much trauma. Not a great. It's also not a great performance. No, <laughs> like, it's he awful. looks. He looks manic. He's goofy. It's bad. <laughs> he looks fucking goofy. Yeah. Well, I, I think, it, but like this is very much. You mentioned that like Milchek is the the vessel for all the weird <laughs> corporate empathy training that like has become vogue mm-hmm. all the idea of like he's the embodiment of people who try to make work fun uh he is the embodiment of the person who tries to like sell you on the idea that work can be family and it is the way that like yeah you're, you're like tillman does something really incredible here which is that he captures that Milchik is good at the performance and also mm-hmm. the performance is profoundly unconvincing and creepy. You know, mm-hmm. he, like mm-hmm. Milchik is really good at putting on these like affects of fellowship and like warmth, but also none of it reaches his eyes at all. He is a completely <laughs> the way he takes fo- photographs, right? Oh, the like, way he takes that this so happens <laughs> frequently throughout the series or the season in which, yeah, like they're having these moments where he pulls out a camera and it, is you know, presents as like, oh, look, like this person who wants to capture these moments between colleagues. Um, but the way it the camera frames <laughs> him framing other people, the frequency at which he takes them, um, there's there's just a way and like a a nuance to his performance that just, you know, you know, as, as we've said, like makes him profoundly creepy, even as he's doing the performative act of like trying to capture like the family aspect of of the workplace that just makes it feel all the more artificial and unnerving because everyone is then forced to put on the, you know, the, 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 the fake smile, unless you're, unless you're heli and (laughs) you, and you refuse to. I do think like that is a mark of like refusing to play along, right? Like, like not get, not being sociable, not being happy when it's corporate happy time 
is itself like a dangerous mark of defiance. And so it's always like clear that there's you're being coerced to perform happiness and mm-hmm. like friendship at work. Um, right in the opening episode when when like Petey just isn't there that day. And Milchick's <sighs> like, yeah, Petey, uh, Petey's gone. I'm very sorry, Mark. Uh, your your friendship was one of my favorite aspects of uh, <laughs> it was one of my favorite aspects of the Macrodata uh, refinement department. They don't use the term retired that early, right? That's not no, until later. No, well, they said I he went to work in a different, different company. Yes, yes they right, were like right, he went right, to work right. somewhere else, which is distinctly different from retirement because they would have had a party uh, and, if he was retiring, um, as we see later yeah. in the show. Uh, Kato. Oh, it's just very quickly on the on Milchik and the, his, his photography taking a thing that I also remember happening pretty early on is that somebody asked him, well, what's up with the camera? And he says, you know, documentation. And because of the way that his affect is, you like can read it. And it's just like, oh, I'm documenting a, a happy moment. But really, you you understand that as like, oh, he's documenting for the corporate archive. Like they need documentation f- to, well... This also kind of gets into my theory of what's going on here, which maybe yeah. that's a second half thing. But I feel like it's really great how they play, like the way he uses language that can technically be read both personally and then also like deeply, like cynically as just corporate speak the whole time is is very, very well done, I think. Yeah. Um, I would say, so Milchek is sort of... Um, the counter not the counterpart but he's uh like again two halves of a hall uh he is trying to be the the velvet glove and the and the mailed fist in some ways <laughs> uh at at lumen but the actual like hard ass there that uh milchik uh serves is patricia arquette's uh harmony cobell and uh miss cobell's interesting in this like first of all Really terrific performance. Harmony Cobell is so someone. Good. It's a really interesting. She performance. appears in both layers. It's the most uh, t- for a show full of nuance. She's the most feels like I'm in. Uh, it's a little over the top and un- like an un- or I guess unhinged is like the more complimentary version of it. But it is <laughs> she. She feels like she is performing in a in a in a show slightly different than the one I'm watching. I will say this though. I think if you see her as in a different context, she is an unhinged church mom. Yeah, I'm not saying it's and, bad. I'm just saying it's op- it's like vibrating slightly differently than the frequency at which the rest of the show is operating on. Mm-hmm. I can see that being distracting if it doesn't work for you. It worked for me, and yeah. I found it to be additive as like this, especially as so, things go increasingly you know, sort of uh, off the rails uh, towards the second half of the season. But it, she's hard to put your finger on early on. It was just like, okay, everyone is, hmm. it feels like there's a tone of the show. And then she, she's acting in a slightly different well, t- tone, tonal she, show. She's, she also, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, she also breaks some of the fundamental rules that the show establishes. Like, that's the thing is that I think all of this works because she as a character is foundational to showing that the rules of the show are not, are not firm. I think that part of the so uh, Cobell appears as on on both sides of the show uh, as Cobell and as Mrs. Selvig, and it is very. I think that the fact that she's not severed is a yes. really fascinating aspect of the dissonance of her character because you see the same. Hmm. What? I don't think so. Wait, I mean, what, it's, what was that kind of? I th- it is. He was asking if that's a spoiler about 
her character. Because no, 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 no. Because she, she's the neighbor. Like in, in by the second episode, the neighbor that he's feuding with is revealed to be uh, Harmony Cobell. Like, I wouldn't. Yeah, and I wouldn't she swear. drops her face. Like she yeah. smiles at him and then drops her face. I say it's. I I felt it was pretty clearly flagged by episode two. And, and I okay, think the I fact just forget, that I forgot how early it was flagged. I, I do remember it being flagged. I just re- was wondering. No, how, because so much of the series about the ways that she insinuates in the outside Lumen work. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. World. Yeah, so yeah. like, yeah, I, I would say uh, we're, we're in good bounds there. So I think that one of the really interesting things about her character is that she navigates the same performative space that severing navigates and mm-hmm. severing does, but she doesn't have the procedure. And so it kind of, ex- for me, extends and changes the metaphor and like the allegorical space the show is playing in because suddenly this isn't just about um work work life and home life and the separation between the two or like the performative separation it is now also about the ways in which culture encourages separation and then certain cultures of work even if you maintain this connection it becomes pervasive to every aspect of your life um and like work is all she has. It is literally all she has. She has an altar to uh, the Egans in her home. It is all she has ever known. She was raised at an Egan orphanage or an, an Egan school for girls. Like, it, it, I think it's a a terrifying and well put together character. Yeah, I think for me, she like I I would agree. At first, I was like, this is a strange energy that she like. She's in a different. She's operating a different register than the other characters. But the minute it's kind of revealed that, like, she is the person for whom this is an article of faith. Like, Lumen is not a job. It is not, like, just procedure. This is salvation. And so she is the the abbess of of the severed floor uh, in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of, like, uh, Carrie's mom uh, in, in, this, in, in this performance as well. And, like, when that conception of herself is threatened uh everything is is on the table and like we can see the absolute like lack of boundaries um that she has but also like the weird deeply strange fixation she has on mark um I, I mean I, like there are moments like there are weird moments where I was, is she trying to fuck mark uh <laughs> And then there, but like she's also she especially should be watching this guy specifically. <laughs> well, yeah, I, for re- reasons I think I, I I the show gets into and in it's yeah. in its latter half. But I also think that I mean she's the show's Catherine Halsey. Like to to compare to an, another show we recently watched, I would say that the characters of Catherine Halsey and the character of Miss Cobell are very similar character archetypes. Um, but one is just played a lot louder than the other. Well, um, one has no power, right? Mm. <laughs> right like, you know, uh, you know. Ultimately, <laughs> like Miss Cavell, yeah, I don't want. You know, maybe we're st- maybe we should take a break so we can talk more more freely. I think we've maybe firmly established how we feel about this yeah. show, but like, you know, th- yeah, the we're starting to run up against the, the limits. Of yeah, what we start, can get like into. I want to start saying stuff about that character that I don't yeah. want to get into about. But you know, she, you know, she's she's a fan girl is, yeah. and and being a fan girl is not the same mm. as being uh, in control. There's yeah. <laughs> there's Sorry. one last thing I'll just allude to here. Um, because it can be hard to anticipate where this series is gonna go tonally. I think something I appreciate here is that this is a dark story and ha- takes on noirish elements. And one aspect of this is like if you're thinking, man, it seems like this would like there's real potential for like violence here, you are correct. Like this does not like <sighs> this is not <laughs> 
the sort of satire where it's like, you know, we're going to we're going to take over the prison from the inside and soon the inmates are going to be running the asylum. This is no Hogan's Heroes uh type type situation. Like this goes into a place of like there are a couple angles there's a couple different forms resistance takes in the show. There's like internal resistance and then there's like overt violent resistance happening uh, in the show as well. Um, and that's something I did. I was not expecting, but the fact that it fully went there right in the first season of like, mm-hmm. there's people out here, there are political movements around severance, both for and against. And then there are also people who like have been close to it, who've seen enough. And it's like, no, you actually have to like t- like you're going to have to take people out uh yeah. to to fight the system. Yeah. It's uh, it's such a good show. And once and and, just, just, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, yeah, like for me that was that was a I like that that we get there early and sort of get get at this notion of like everything is on the table here. Mm-hmm. Like the people on both sides of this will do anything to uh, to like win the day, basically. Mm-hmm. Patrick, you had something. Just one small thing. I just want to like praise the show. And is like when I clicked play on that finale, and it said it was forty-two minutes long. Oh my one God. of my biggest pet peeves about the streaming era is, I mean, Severance is a little bit like this, which is it, it, that uh, I think it's a good TV show. It has the qualities of the ten-hour movie, which is like what most TV shows are these days. Is like, boy, could have made this a film. Could have been a tight two hours. But ah, we'll just stretch it out and turn it into 10 episodes. Um, and I think Severance as a movie, you, you, there's ways you can imagine how it would work, but I think it's better as a, as a TV show given room to breathe. But I just wanted to compliment the fact that, like, when I say it's a show that is, like, stripped of fat, like, even as it goes forward and would, you would, you would, gra- I like, I, I looked at that and went, oh, no, it's only 42 minutes. But that's great because it is just the story it needs to tell. And it, like, gets in and gets out. Um it's like just as good as that, like the, another show on TV right now, Barry, which is one of oh one God. of the best yeah. shows on television right now. If you're not watching Bill Hader's show on HBO, is a show that is 30 minutes long and does the amount of storytelling that most shows do, like on a Netflix where it's like an hour and 20 minutes, and it does it in like a tight 30. And it's just a, just a wild compliment to to the show itself that it is able to do the amount of storytelling that it does in such mm-hmm. a constrained amount of time. That's a that's a script thing. That's an editing thing. That's a production thing. But it's just it is unique in that uh, respect. And I, I know it's a, maybe an odd thing to compliment in a show that has like all these other things to compliment, but it's, it's something that struck me every time mm-hmm. I sat down to watch it was like, Oh shit. Like they just did the thing they needed to do instead of being wildly mm-hmm. indulgent. And that's just extremely rare to see these days. It is a brilliantly constructed, like I, it is a brilliantly constructed piece of media. Like that was, it is just, it, it's excellently put together. One of the uh, and only now, shows I think gets shorter as you go on. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so I think we'll leave off the general discussion here, and next we're gonna have to get into uh, some of the specific beats. And then starting off with the ideology of resistance they land on. Uh, so <laughs> stick around after the break, and we're going to get to the radical text that really sets things a cooking uh, in the depths of Lumen. Uh, be right back. Also, someone write in and tell me, do I need to watch Ben Stiller's other show? Someone said it's really good. Let me know. What's this other show? I don't know. I don't want, it's got, it's, the name is not, uh, escapes me, but apparently it was watched by no one and is, and is very good. 
So I want someone to tell me if I should. They made Walter Mitty a, a show? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, we're not going to probably talk too much about this, uh, in uh in mark's regular life but a major character is his very cool sister uh that he has a good relationship with and her perplexing husband rickon um i think one of the one of the biggest reaches of the show is like how someone really grounded and chill like ends up with a very strange character. Mm, they don't uh, sell that at all. I like, don't even really Ch- try. I <laughs> know. Uh, no, I've, it's like Michael Chernus is like the cousin of Tobias Funke. This in this couple exists in my family. I know them. They're real. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I know. know. The, I, know I think it's people. just yeah. I think it happens. To I believe. Be I believe I they exist. I'm people. just saying the show is un fundamentally uninterested in selling you on it. They, right. they just, they, it just they, is. they're doing what Kata was saying is like, they just exist. They just but exist. We're not going to explain to you <laughs> why, how, um, maybe that's a oh. season four thing. Like when they're, they're looking for new flashbacks, like with like, so, hmm. Rickon is a weird, like philosopher, life coach, uh, self-help guru. Is guy. he is he successful, or is she bringing in the money? Like, what do, what do we think their situation is? I mean, they're I clearly very successful. wealthy. Yeah, yeah, like they're very well off, and it doesn't seem like she. Like, I think he he must be successful. His book. I guess parties. he does have the party later, which yeah. a lot of people believe his shit. So I guess I guess you're right. I, I guess I don't uh, know. It's 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 tough, but uh, mm. either way. He's a ridiculous character, and we when we meet him, like you, you just like every every word out of his mouth, you're just like clapping your forehead, being like, "My God, Rickon, what the fuck!" <laughs> but in the background of this, he's been preparing his new book, his opus for publication, and he gives a copy to Mark. And through a series of circumstances, it ends up in Mark's possession uh, on a day he goes into. No, it ends up. Uh, Harmony Cobell steals it from Mark before Mark can get hold of it and then loses track of the copy and it is up floating around the office. Uh, Milchick starts reading it. He puts it down uh, during an emergency that uh, happens and the book finds its way into the hands of the severed employees um, who begin reading bits and pieces of it, all of them thinking uh, that they are they are the only ones committing like this illicit act, which is reading this self-help book uh, during work hours. And you can see that it is having like a consciousness awakening moment. They're becoming aware of their plight and aware of their class and aware of themselves. And it's, you know what? We just need to go to the tape because you need to hear 
what Rickon's book is that just opens their eyes and prepares them to take radical action. Uh, So let's count in. Uh, Go on. Go when I say go. Three, two, one, go. What is it to fail? My failure to break into the literary world in my 20s was devastating, yet it taught me a vital lesson. That it was not me who was wrong, but literature <laughs> itself. Jesus so true. And that to truly find my place in that world, I would first need to break it entirely. And so I did. A society with festering workers cannot flourish, just as a man with rotting toes cannot skip. <laughs> I must have had so much fun writing this fucking What separates man from machine is that machines cannot think for themselves. <laughs> also, they are made of metal. <laughs> whereas man is made of skin. If you are a soldier, do not fight for my freedom. Fight for the freedom of the soldier fighting next to you. This will make the war more inspiring for you. <laughs> a good person will follow the rules. A great person will follow himself. So Boys true. are nothing but bulls. <laughs> At the center of industry is dust. <laughs> they cannot crucify you if your hand is in a fist. Should you find yourself contorting to fit a system, dear reader, stop and ask if it's truly you that must change or the system. What does All right, we can leave it there. Mean? Like it goes on in mm-hmm. a series of like <sighs> self-help Jack Handy type quotes of that was exa- that was hundred percent. Yes, that was hundred percent the bit I was thinking of when that montage happened. Is if you literally just got the Jack Handy <laughs> character to voice that, it would fit just as well. I think that scene is that that that, that whole sequence is so great because it is both one a really excellently done joke. It is a very funny and good joke, right? But it is also part of the show's, like the fact that it is a funny and good joke is part of the show, the argument the show is making with this stupid fucking book. And it is that like, it doesn't matter how silly or like banal a text can be. If you are exposing someone to a radically new idea in a text that is in and of itself worthwhile, regardless of the aesthetic value um, of that particular work, because it still may be able to fulfill a function. Um, it is a it is a very concise and funny argument for like the utility of like producing works generally. Yeah, it's like they are in they have they are in a desert of awareness and ideology. The only ideology they have any exposure to is uh, Lumen's very weird corporate cosmology. Um, And then the fact that Rickon's absurd book, all these ideas, which are badly delivered, uh, like (laughs) badly, badly delivered, uh, really trite ideas are completely eye-opening to these people who haven't like had any ideas like this that like bring across the idea of like thinking of yourself as a worker or part of a workforce or you know as the quote we ended on thinking about if i am suffering within the system trying to fit it 
doesn't that indicate something more about the system than necessarily about me? And the fact that all of them like read this and it profoundly sets them up to start taking like direct action against Lumen uh, is just hysterically funny uh, to me. But yeah, also like kind of affecting like it's a it's a silly little book. It is also exactly the book they needed. Yeah, it uh, it's just very funny how like shifting the like class structures and like the point of view from knowing who Rickon is and then seeing these like lines of, of like changing the system. It's like, you're not changing the system. You're just a rich guy who can do whatever he wants because he has money. Who knows how? Uh, and so like you can exist outside of like the, the whole literature thing and not breaking into literature is like, Oh, you've just been like coasting off whatever money you have, either your partners or familial wealth and writing books this whole time, haven't you? Like, you can tell the type of person that is. But then you shift it to the point of view of people with absolutely nothing but work. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, yes, you, you, you've you never thought of this 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 space as a system because it's your whole universe. But the universe is, a, you know, it is a system that you can possibly affect. Um, it's just very funny and well done that it, like, straddles both of these things in the, in the show. Yeah. Uh, also, Rickon is, um, I don't know if anyone else here watched Broad City, uh, but one mm-hmm. of his, his, he's the fucking dirtbag boyfriend who's always in their apartment. Bevers. I kept, scra- I kept scratching at my head of like, what is he? Yeah. I've seen and laughed it's, at him before. It's a very similar, not. it's a very similar sort yeah, of like. Yeah, he's kind of an, a- well, he's kind of oh, an actor the- that plays roughly the same buffoonish <laughs> sort of character. Yes. But, it, but like used effectively in a show like his i don't know if he has range but it's fine as long as he is deployed yeah. correctly and, yeah. and in both of these cases uh he is oh he's the, he was the soft brother in patriot which is another really good show uh, <laughs> on amazon um but yeah one of my favorite things about uh rickon and his goofiness is also that like i think there's a moment in the final episode that reveals he knows it's bullshit um, and is un- is deeply uncomfortable with and insecure with the fact that he knows it's all bullshit um that i think is actually delivered very well um and is like a good character moment and part of the show's like illustrates the show's strength and character writing is that it does a good character moment for a fucking doofus who has been the butt of every joke in the show since the beginning (laughs) since he appeared on the screen but there's a moment where the visage cracks and it's like oh cool this man is deeply sad well yeah but also it's it's a show about like the faces we put on in front of other people and the whole point of severance is like yeah but what if you don't like what if someone else could wear that mask instead and I think, you know, a huge part of the show is like, well, actually, the process of taking on those masks and like understanding what those masks are, are like an important part of like life, understanding like who you are and what you want out of it. And like that moment ends up being really interesting because I mean, you know, you know, we're in spoilers now, like in the finale, when you essentially get, you know, uh, you know, any mark to admit this profound moment to <laughs> to to uh, to Rickon, like it's a it's a chance for like they both like in in such wildly different states are like taking off their masks and being like their most vulnerable. Um, even if it comes like the most inopportune and stressful time for, for both of them, but it is, it is a testament to the whole, the show's whole idea is like, well, actually, if you were to lose those eight hours, the work is fucked, but like that is time that you spend on yourself and understanding what you actually want. Um, Mm -hmm. it's a really beautiful moment for, for both Mm -hmm. those characters. 
Yeah, I also think that I just want to shout out my favorite, probably my favorite joke in the show, uh, which is uh, Rickon talking about having to cry over the baby as it's being born uh, as a display of um, uh, vulnerable masculinity, which I think is one of the funniest <laughs> fucking jokes I've, I've seen in TV in a minute. It's it's really it's really good and goofy. The three bed joke, the three bed gag is so fucking funny. Talking about the trauma inflicted on children by. Um, by changing out their beds as they grow up it is uh, it you, is uh, you, the pop psychology Ren, is so funny you laugh but some of the things you read about i don't know what you would call it, new age parenting or like like yeah. it's not fucking far off some of the goofy shit you hear about like it's i i i laughed at that but but it it struck a little too close it's to not home, as heightened huh? as you might hope <laughs> no like there's yeah. satire and then there's like when we when, when earlier when we said like this couple can't exist this story this show doesn't justify it and Kato said no they just exist <laughs> and then you said like this three bed thing seems a little odd and I'm like does it though does right. it I That's think it just exists yeah. I think it just exists but it is portrayed in a very funny tongue yes. like yeah. the, like the show yes. portrays it as this man truly believes in this shit as his wife is just standing there being like I don't fucking know dude yeah so. If he's one vision of like self-help and like a therapeutic mindset we get, the other is Miss Casey, uh, who is the in-house psychologist at Lumen, but not really. What do they call so, it? What's the, the, the wellness um, counselor? Mm, wellness, yes. And we get our first taste of what her bag is. She meets, um, she meets with John Turturro's Irving, who we'll, we'll talk about in a bit, but to motivate people, make them feel better about like their lives, which all they know is what's at, at Lumen. They don't know anything about their lives outside. She tells you things about your Audi. Uh, your Innie is who's in the, in the company here. Your Audi is who lives outside the severed zone. The, no, the notion, the notion of dangling that as like emotional bait yeah. for it's these characters is disgusting. so so fucked yep. up. Well, and it's the it, like, and she doesn't actually tell you anything. She tells you like, she tells you weird bromides that could be mm-hmm. about anyone. Your well, your Audi brightens well, people's day mm-hmm. by smiling tr- at them. It's true, but she also says things like "Your Audi likes the sound of radar." I know what's happening here. I th- I'm pretty sure I know what's happening in in, in the show, and um, I think Casey is is really interesting because her whole thing is she tells people facts about themselves that are slightly masked to see how effective the severance procedure was. So she says to Irving, "You like the sound of radar." His dog's name is Radar. Right, it is it is just very slightly masked versions of their outside lives to see if the walls begin to break down. That's also why uh it's also part of Cobell's obsession with Mark. Yeah. Mark is the quintessential Tusk subject. Is yeah. he going to recognize this person even in this context? Um it is ugh god. This because the the grim slash jaw-dropping revelation here is that at his lowest moment in the series uh in a like haze of drunken grandiosity uh as a gesture to a woman who is correctly reading all the signs and running the hell away from mark 
Um, he thinks it's because I'm so hung up on my wife. And so he makes this big show of like, I'm going to tear up her picture. And he does. And then he realizes once he like comes down from that moment, he just tore up his wife's photo and like painstakingly begins reassembling it. And Miss Casey's played by uh, Deshaun Lachman, uh, who uh, has been in a bunch of things, but predominantly playing a woman who in some way, shape or form haunts uh the story uh she is she is that version she is the she turns out to be the antagonist of the second season of agents of shield uh she was one of the stars of uh that weird whedon show uh the dollhouse then a lot of things end up hinging on um what was that cyberpunk show on netflix uh, a couple of years ago altered yeah altered carbon carbon um, she is like the long lost sister, uh, from, uh, like the, the main character, like lost at some point as part of a resistance movement, but basically like, like her, her career, like the thing that her agent sell- seems to be like better at selling is like, Hey, so like, she's like going to be the revenant of this story, uh, <laughs> that haunts the characters who are doomed to continue existing. And it's mm-hmm. like, cool. Uh, like, yeah, we got to get decent Lockman in here. Oh, she's yeah, Casey trying. is playing oh, decent okay. Lockman. Pardon? Sorry, sorry. She was. I was trying to remember who she was in Ages of Shield because I watched that whole show back then at Giant. Hey, and yeah, honestly, I did like, not. That's that show her. had a season and like a quarter of like amazingness in it. Yeah, like that second season <laughs> where they got Kyle McLaughlin and Decent Lockman yeah. on it was like fucking amazing. Amazing. <laughs> uh. Anyway, point is, when he reassembles the photo, we realize that his dead wife, who was lost in the car accident. Is Miss Casey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. when he is promoted, uh, or when he when he successfully led his team to be the best macro data refiners in all of Lumen or whatever, he's given yet another special session with Miss Casey. And it's gonna be their last one because Miss Casey has uh for having failed to like appropriately like police and supervise uh the the macro data uh folks she is being retired and it's a really it's a great moment like adam scott is horrified he feels guilty he's like we have to be able to do something and miss casey who's fundamentally like compliant and a believer in the system does sort of break from script at this point and without fully breaking character like it's still very much like someone who derives her sense of value and purpose from uh from lumen does sort of note that being around mark and his team is like the only happiness she has known in does she a derive life purpose or she's not been around long enough to that's like the, do anything but just follow the instructions because yeah. she reveals in that moment she's been alive for what 40 it is hours 100, or something 100, 100 the line is i have been around for i've been alive for 107 hours the happiest eight hours i spent it with. makes it makes sense that she's like robotic in nature because if all you do is exist in pockets of an hour that you are awoken to do this job how could you you wouldn't have time to develop a sense of self all you could do is just follow the directions put in front of you like i when she like it never occurred to me even though it's obvious in the logic of the show that oh people could be turned on and off arbitrarily for hours that are not like a nine to five um, we're just never presented with characters that operate in, in a different fashion. And when that when, when it is revealed that she is 
utilized that way because there's different jobs that require different functions for different hour counts. Yeah. It's like a real like a oh no, my son my stomach has sunk because of the implications of what that suggests of other things that could be happening that are mm-hmm. just out of sight. Yeah. I also think that like they are also using severedness. I think that also the that's part of the show's strength is that like severedness is such a broad category. Like the woman who um, uh, is severed so she doesn't have to experience the pain of childbirth, which is yeah. like a, an astounding degree of cruelty. <laughs> Just one of like, God. what if you? Although my ha- although my wife saw that and went, eh. <laughs> well, like, <laughs> and she she I, I we paused like we were wound on that and I was like, wait a second, are they using that for X? And she's like, oh, she almost certainly did it for childbirth, and she was like. <laughs> like, that, like, 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 Jeez. we just watched a show about how cruel all this is. And she was like, we, what if you created a person whose life was exclusively the experience of extreme pain in th- in 30 minute increments or not? 30 well, minute that, and that's the thing that, that gets at, which is like severance starts as this like out there procedure being done for like special roles and companies. It is in the world we see via news stories. It is becoming like a practice more companies wish to adopt. And then also, yes, that character is a revelation that, uh, like, the very, very wealthy are starting to look at is like, mm-hmm. there are some, there are some things that we could spare ourselves, uh, if we like use it recreationally, privately. Well, what if you could have the help, but the help was your body, yeah, as opposed to, uh, you know, tending the garden. Um, they're essentially inventing versions of yourself you don't know that do the functions you don't want to. And that is, that starts to get the show like, pretty fucking, it's a bleak show that, that once you realize uh, the implications, it's a, uh, the fucking, oh my God, the brat, the Bradley William thing is, is uh, it, it's yeah. part of the show's puzzle box. It's just like, it's very obvious when it is giving you the answer to a, to a problem, I would say, like a, to a weird interaction. It's like, okay, you remember that weird interaction like three episodes ago? We're just going to give you the answer now. But like, it, it has enough time between those two points where like, it's, it lands very effectively and you, f- it feels like a release of tension. Uh, and like a question has been answered that you deserved to have answered as opposed to the show just like throwing you. Um, garbage uh, or like throwing you a bone um one of the other one of the other cruelties that uh begins to radicalize one character in particular irving who is like the the true company man uh john john Turturro, uh who is at the start like someone who genuinely his work persona loves and seems to find meaning working at lumen but one of the weird things about working at Lumen is that there is a corporate mythology there. I guess that's not that weird. Again, we're in the realm of like, yep, companies do this. It's just yeah. extreme uh, here. Mm-hmm. Like the departments have rivalries. There is a history. There is like allusions to there being uh, an almost biblical fall by one of the departments <laughs> and an uprising <laughs> against the Egan family. Um, like, like they have a faith text. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even characters who you would not like, uh, Zach Cherry's Dylan, who seems <laughs> like Dylan. your classic, like, man, I'm just here for the paycheck. Fuck you. Fuck y'all. Like, uh, I don't like seems too cynical to believe any of this, but the minute another department comes up, he's like, no, their souls are tarnished because of the uprising and we are, <laughs> we are not to traffic with their kind. And it's like, 
Dylan? What? <laughs> and this all sets up the fact that on some of their explorations uh within uh within the severed floor uh of Lumen, uh John Turturro's Irving meets Christopher Walken's Bert, who is uh what's his department called? Uh Optics and Design. Yeah. And it's kind of mysterious what they do. Most of what Christopher Walken seems to do is swap out the corporate art uh, that exists. He's, he's cleaning the, it up, thank you. There, there are sequences where he is shown doing some sort of restorative qualities. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's an archivist, for sure. Yeah. Um, he's Actively got painting. The, yeah. But they strike up uh, a very intense and quickly romantic friendship as two kindred spirits who bond over... Well, at first they think they're kind of bonding over um, the art that is most appropriately devotional to the Egan family and Lumen, but really they're kind of bonding over art itself and like finding a way, finding someone that they can connect with on that level. Um, And they begin to fall in love. And it is because that Irving, it it really, it, it is because Irving and Bert can't like, stay away from each other and keep like deepening their relationship and start to be this point at which the macro data guys and the optics and design staff begin to talk <laughs> uh, that the two departments begin talking about their experiences working at Lumen and begin asking each other questions about like, can you help me understand what it is we do here? The minute these conversations, conversations start happening, uh, Bert, is told he is retiring and we get one of my favorite scenes uh, in the show, which is his retirement party. Um, I think the retirement party is like the moment that Irving breaks and just starts screaming at Milchick is one of my favorite moments in the TV show. Um, This like man who has not sworn a single time throughout the entire nine hours of television that you've watched to this point just calls Milchik a motherfucker um, openly in a room full of other people. And it is it's such a good character moment. Uh, Yeah, the video is the video. Some of the video because the videos come up as a motif here, but Bert's is. uh, Yeah. So there's like, yeah, yeah, the show multiple times like there are communication like other than, you know, you have the, the wellness you know, the things where you get, in theory, you know, like little uh, crumbs, tidbits about your your Audi, the, the person you are on the outside of this office. But then, there, yeah, you have these, these, well, one, you have Heli who, like, uh, you know, requests to uh, leave the job, which apparently is something that can happen, but is almost always denied. And she gets a video, you know, explaining why it's been denied. And then you also have these retirement parties where the Audi gives a video thanking their any for their service like for all the things they do and like i mean walken just plays it yeah he's such an interesting actor and i've read a couple interviews with ben stiller talking about this where you know it's so easy to he became a character in a bit at one point and and certainly he was aware of that right like he's not 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 aware of it and Stiller would talk about the fact that the way he acts now in his older age is cognizant of how people have come to believe of him like the hyperbot like the the character of christopher walken versus like like christopher walken when he was like taken more seriously as a younger actor um and how he leverages that to then surprise people 
when he actually, you know, he, when he does act. And I think you see a lot of that in, in Severance. I think you see a lot of that in um, that video, but the video he does where he, he, you know, thanks as any for their, for the work they've done. And I mean, this is like the best, like the best, hum- like the dark, darkest and best humor of the show comes from of like, it's like, well, I don't really know what you think of him, but I guess he would, you know, think he was a hard worker and has done all in like, <laughs> it's just because I'm sure on some him. level, I'll always remember you, <laughs> yeah. even though I, mean, I won't, I can't. but I can't. But, um, you know, and it's just it's just it's really good, like operating on so many like interesting, interesting levels um, while on the, you know, the sh- it's sitting in the shadow of like, oh, we're killing a person. Yeah, mm-hmm. like we are. We are in some ways. This is an execution of of someone that a, a planned obsolescence of a you know the same way that happens with our tech you know if it's it's like turning your like your yourself like your broader self into like a diceable piece of technology and then you plan for its obsolescence and it's like well this is no longer useful to me i'm sorry you've become a person with your own identity and feelings and some of it is still me right like you know you i think one of the most interesting parts of the show is when uh he tries to drive a car and he doesn't actually know how to drive a car, but he has the in- in- instincts on how to drive a car and then has to sort of like meld the, those like instinctual feelings of like what I would do to drive a car with like literally figuring it out on the fly. Um, it's just really like dark and tragic and sad and it's treated as like this party while, while essentially you're setting someone up for, I guess, deletion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Irving is the only one who names it at any point in the show, which I think is, I think is really interesting because like, again, it is the dude who has the most faith in the corporate in in the corporation. And the moment it actually touches someone he really cares about that faith, that faith immediately shatters. Um, and I also think that the show does a good job of like explaining, like making it very clear that the reason people care about like workers rights broadly is because they have people they care about. I think it is very easy to get lost in theory and structure and all of these things. And I think the show does a good job of not letting its characters get lost in theory and structure and instead grounds like its labor activism and its thoughts on labor in the deeply personal aspects of labor, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is a a really strong choice um, that like drives the series um, in really cool ways. Um, one of the things that gives Irving his sense of purpose is his belief in the vision of the Egan's and the meaning of the company. And this brings us to, I think maybe the most shocking reveal of this series. Um, so one, there's like an internal museum at, uh, at Lumen. Uh, they have like, the founder's original house uh, sort of it's very, very control, right? They have like <laughs> yeah. lifted an entire house into this like uh, huge, uh, like, like concrete warehouse space uh, and preserved it as a historical site. And occasionally as a treat, employees are allowed to sort of tour the severed floors and go and like see these uplifting um, displays and memorials and monuments and such. Um, and they're all, deeply fucking weird and creepy uh it is the smile wall it's fucking hilarious yeah fucking haunts me yeah a company like fucking just out of context smiles of these are people that lumen has helped uh and it's just like just teeth and lips in (laughs) these weird you know rictuses uh you know like allegedly Made happy by Lumen's uh, good well, work. It's, it's like whenever one of those new apps comes out, and it's like running everyone's faces through the face app. And it's like <laughs> love to smile. It's like that's that's immediately what I thought of as soon as I as soon as I saw that. 
Yeah. Um, and throughout all of this, so from the minute she starts the company, Helly starts trying to get out. Uh, mm-hmm. She doesn't like she resists during the orientation. We see some weird shit. Like she tries, she goes to the exit door. She's shown the exit door and tries to escape. And it appears to like operate in a loop. No sooner has she uh, goes running through it to escape. than she is running back through it right where she left. And it, mm-hmm. like, it's unclear why this is happening. And also people are telling her uh, like Milchuk. Mill, talks yeah. about how high hope the high hopes they had for and how excited and blessed they were when they felt that when they learned that she was coming to uh to work with them that totally like popped who she was for me like i was like oh yeah i i see who this is now and Hallie tries to request leaving and patrick you alluded to this when she sends in like a final like I refuse to do this. Let me out. Stop this. Like, uh, I, I do not want to be a severed uh, employee. She gets a message from her Audi that is shocking. It's 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 Hallie, who we know is a, a pretty uh, nice, cool, like sensible person. And then the message she gets back from her outside work persona is this vicious. You are not a person. Stop thinking of yourself as a person. You are. Like, you are just an aspect of me. You exist to serve this company. You do not have the right to choose to not do this job. Uh, and basically, like, get with the fucking program. And Helly, in response, uh, to really, st- to really, it- it's a brilliantly conceived thing, yeah. to really stick it to this person. Uh, who basically told her, like, you're, you're not real. Go fuck yourself. Helly arranges... Not just to take her own life, but to make sure that it happens outside the severed zone. She arranges to turn her suicide into a murder mm-hmm. uh, by like grabbing a power cord and doing it in the uh, drop ceiling in the elevator. So that it goes up and whoever her Audi is will wake up and find herself being hanged by Heli. Um it's it's they never they never they never show that right like it is i mean for for some sort of like you know for understandable plot twisty reasons like for towards the finale but like i think it's like it's really striking and important that they don't they don't like immediately then cut to like that character realizing what's happening to them you just find out later they were in the hospital for x amount of days and then well you do see you do see her character wake up in the elevator though and start like struggling to like yeah yes 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 um we just don't know who she is but we do see that person who sent that horrible like video message we do see her have that moment of like holy shit um and then the elevator comes back down and mark um like cat like sees what's happening and saves uh ish heli uh from what's happening and she comes back later um after after she's been in the hospital for a while in the closing of the season um dylan is the one who stays behind they figure out they discover that at any moment the severed procedure can be executed outside the walls of lumen that it like it is not actually bound um that there is an override procedure to instantiate the severed personas 
in their lives. Dylan is the first to realize this when he is interrogated by Milchek at his own home about something that happened at work. Mm-hmm. But they also realize that they could use this too. And when they carry out this caper to uh, to execute the procedure, which it's just some of the weirdest and funniest shit. Dylan, like they, they do it by like turning in a great like quarter of performance. They, they choose Dylan as their special boy uh, who will get to have the waffle party. And I was thinking <laughs> it's going to be a waffle party. party. Oh my no, God. it's you are sent to have well, you get waffles. a waffle. You get a waffle you first. You sure do. <laughs> oh, you, oh, we all, we, Hey, we all, we, we've all been waffled in our lives once God, or twice. Am I right? Waffle thing is he's, <laughs> He's also, which he's had before, right? Is yes. the implication. He's, the he's chosen. He's chosen to have this before. Yeah. Yes. It's so and so weird. he goes to the founder's house in that museum, and this time he's alone. He eats alone a plate of like Lego Egos. waffles. Yeah, yeah. They're like yeah. just microwave waffles uh, at at this place, and then. What does the plate say? It's Do you remember a, what the plate says? Go, go to now found- to the founder's bed. <laughs> he mops up. He mops up the Christ. last of his waffle uh, syrup with his waffle as oh. it's going out of the founder's bed, and he puts on whatever the first founder is. Kier, Kier Egan. Kier, Kier Egan. Um, he puts Which, on a fucking the name of the town, by the way. Oh, is is it Kier? Yeah, it's Kier. The town is called Kier. Okay. Yeah. They have, um, the, the the world building in this show is fucking wild there's some implications that we should probably talk about oh, yeah. at some point but uh and so he goes to the founder's bed and puts on a Kier egan mask and then is blessed with a little dance performance <laughs> by people wearing their own like egan masks but one is dressed as like a jester and another as a nun and it's a uh, it's, it's uh, directly weird. it's directly referencing one of the uh paintings that are that was in the hallway. Uh Egan I forget what exactly what the title of it, but it's like Egan like punishing the something and like all of those characters are in that painting being uh flogged by a cat of nine tails by Kier. Oh, that's uh, why he has the whip. Yeah. With, yes. uh, yep. Yeah. It is, the, it is the nine virtues. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're supposed oh to be like God. whipping the like uh animalistic and uh unworthy people like like egan does in that painting that's in the hallways <laughs> uh, yeah and so he bounces during this little dance performance and goes to the override room and allows can i, can I ask just a broader question about this yeah. like okay and i don't really know how to reconcile like it's okay you know go on the show like yeah leaps of logic can happen this is a show where, like, they're implanting a chip, like, changing people's perception of themselves, but constantly in this show, they wander the halls like nobody knows that it's happening. Like, yeah. there's no cameras. They're not tracking these people. They're constantly well, they're able to get There are. There are, but there's only one security chief. Yeah. That's the thing. There are and cameras, but, like, where they have one guy to look at them. But I'm just saying, like, we exist in a world, like, what, he's not getting push notifications when, like, your Nest Cam well, finds, like, motion? At that so point. he's dead. Yeah, he's dead. At that no, point. but I mean, but it doesn't happen earlier in the show. Yeah, I just... I find it a little hard to believe I think that if this is some grand experiment to like study and prey on these on these on these workers, like figuring out how this whole severed thing works, however whatever the logic of the show is, I think it's a the show constantly relies on this trick that 
Well, they just they just don't know what they're up to. And it's like, I don't really buy that this intricate system wouldn't have a way of following these people around somehow. I'm okay I, with it. It's okay. It makes a great tension. But I, the moment I start thinking about that part of it, it undercuts a little bit of what the show is doing because it doesn't really add up to me that they well, wouldn't so be able to. What do you think um, about like what is happening at Lumen in general? Because like my like big theory here is just that it is R&D to sell severance to other yeah. people. Right. Yes, that's that what, what I think is. too. Yeah. So, it's like, also at that point, training systems. Right. At that point, my my thought with the like lack of security is very much like a we will test this and get it to a point where you won't need security at your company, which means one less paycheck. Right. It's all about creating the most efficient system possible. I guess, but these so, people keep fucking things up pretty right. bad for them, and it's like this. Right. If these aren't the first people they've done this to, right? And so it's like, they have a procedure in place for people who like reject this don't want to be here my guess is like violent actions have occurred so, in the past i feel like they cover this off a little bit with a line that heli delivers toward the end which is they left us unsupervised and thought we'd be too dumb to notice right um, also, which is like this whole procedure breeds complacency which is kind of the like they're trying to create yeah. a class of worker that police themselves and hmm. don't think about and we'll organize numbers if we can get them to organize numbers into buckets then why would we need to worry about the other stuff i mean i i, I get that i mean i, I do i do I, I agree with you that's the the show's explanation I mean, for how hold on let me think about this look at the crisis of like managers realizing some of their employees are working two jobs and mm-hmm. that like people are doing two jobs at once in the remote work era because you can there's nothing to stop you from like the using the idle moments at one job to go do another like i i do think so much of the way jobs are constructed uh is to create a sense of a workforce that believes that like believes two things one that it is surveilled uh and two believes that it owes uh, like constant devotion and labor to the company. Yeah. And so I do think like the, 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 the laxity we see on the severed floor is like a literalization of like what they're trying to do, which is take these concepts to the max. But those concepts exist in part because you want a docile compliant workforce that doesn't need management layers to be kept on, on the rails. They just right. sort of self, uh, you just point them at a problem and they do it and they don't need to be like monitored. Until it is certain- also very odd. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's also very clear to me that Cobell is on her own. Like, Cobell is doing, is very clearly broken with the board in some key ways and is do is running her own experiment. Like, that's the other thing is that Co- with Mark, she is clearly like, okay, cool, how far can I push this technology? And just so happens to also be pushing it in the same place as Helena, as Helena Egan. And that is her, that is like one of her key mistakes is putting her favorite, t- her favorite test subject in the exact same space as the founder of the company. Uh, and that is the decision that ultimately, like, ruins her. Well, and that... Yeah, caught up, please. Well, I was just going to say, I think there's also something there about the kind of um, corporate... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like, not pride, but, like, this, this, the, like, corporate sense that, like, if the work is getting done, things must be going right. Or like this kind of, um, God, I'm totally losing this word where like, they just believe it's okay because they're too big to fail sort of situation. Uh, the, um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm bringing up the Spanish word in my mind and I can't get to the English word. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Just like What's the Spanish word. Well, I mean, cojones, not balls, not really yeah, balls, yeah, sure. but like, uh, uh, or like, um, oh, like the, the brazenness of this company. Yeah. Kind of, but yeah. Right. Like this idea that like the, 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 the theater of surveillance is enough to keep them underlined, which is like true for the most part. And like, is technically part of the things that they're testing with that also feels very in line with like a big company that's like gonna like. Yeah, set up methods of self police and be like, that's enough. That'll be that'll be enough. And like, you know, we'll fire the outliers. Like, we'll we'll get rid of the the issues when they crop up, but not they're they're reactive, not preventative. Right? Is kind of like the 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 stance that they've taken. And do we do we think the religious like where some of these people have taken to the Egan stuff as a religion? Yeah, is that part of the programming or is that just a byproduct of? So. Well, you put, you put people ideology. in here. And they're going to find meaning in it if you give in the absence I of think, nothingness, they'll find something. And so some people find and so maybe they end up building out this foundational wing yeah. because it's like, well, look, I, we got to give the people something. It turns out they get kind of like they end up idolizing. The, the I think Egan's it's a little bit of I think it's a little bit of both. Really, it's it's like the idea that they people will try to find this is part of the sales package that Lumen's right. going out. Like, and we will also put in an Egan wing because it turns out they need religion right. or something to believe in or they want to kill right themselves. it's like some sort of there's like the idea that there's a, a human fundamental like want to find meaning in things and like if you give right. them enough like they will latch on to the one that seems meaningful like with like flowery language but also a little bit it definitely feels like egan the current egan like they're bought in on this they also believe themselves to be fucking yes. like gods among men and like that also kind of falls into like the egomaniacal sense of ceos at a certain level right like there is this idea that they are like above reproach and above like their workers and like that kind of just tracks for how you know people at that level of large companies behave right sell the i'm sorry no that's it you're good. <laughs> uh, Corel also believes it. That's the other thing that the show establishes is that Corel is a true believer and she is not severed. She no. was raised yep. with this as a belief system, which Do means that this belief system precedes like the process and invention of severing. Did anyone um, else think is is it clear that she's related to Egan? She's not. She's I think a, she, she is. was an orphan raised in a home. No, I think like I think. Wait, what, Kato, what's your theory here? My theory here, and this is like, there's a couple lines, and like, this is either she's delusional and like is trying to place herself in the Egan timeline just because of how devoted she is, but also there's an illusion in like the, 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 the collages that she has and the, the feeding tube that she has with her mother's name on it that she may have been a bastard child of an Egan that was then like, the, her mom was basically killed off to like hide the fact that she was a bastard child of an Egan. And she like has, but she has found out somehow and has that sense of like, I should be the one in the, in Healy's shoes. Like she gets really fucking pissed at like, um, Healy's like, uh, like supposed successes in like putting herself in the severance program. And like, there was that, there's like a line there where she's like, it shouldn't be you. It should be me. 
that feels like it's yeah. either one of those two things. Either yeah, she's directly that was related. A weird thing in the final confrontation, yeah. yeah. I'm saying we're gonna get a little, a little succession in our. I think we in are. Our severance. Yes, a hundred percent. I think it's like, to me. It feels like she's absolutely like the the lost child of the Egan family that found out and is trying to claw her way back into good graces with that family. I mean, it does a seem like the bit. family drama yeah. like is ripe for like a, a season two or a, you right. know, like if you're if you're trying to plan out how how do they. How do they keep this going? Like, uh, there's a lot to mine there. The the moment when Helly wakes up and realizes she's at this Egan gala for women <laughs> and that she is the star attraction because they've created yep. an entire installation showing Helena Egan's experience with severance. Oh, uh, those photos—that's those fo- photos. Documentation up there yeah. is like just a chef's kiss. Oh, like so good. Like who? I I don't know if in like in the writers' room they knew that that's what they they're like. Well, the photo's just like a cute little thing, and then we'll figure out where that's going. And then someone goes, "Aha!" Like I feel like I know where it's going. Run. Yeah. They pretty much like this thing's like pretty constructed end to end. Is yeah, is how it, it feels because like very strongly the the moment like. As she is completely overwhelmed by seeing all these moments that you remember sort of repurposed for these fucking college brochure ass pictures of <laughs> uh, herself having a great time uh, down in the severed areas. Uh, she goes into the bathroom to collect herself, but also throughout the series when people have been disciplined uh, at Lumen, they've been made to recite this this catechism. Uh, I am I am sorry for what I have done. I am sorry. Uh, and that is all that I am. Uh, it is. And, and you are made to repeat it until Milchek believes you mean it, whatever the hell that means. Uh, or maybe Cobell, whoever's administering it. But like, yeah. you're basically psychologically tortured uh, for an extended period. You're set period. up to a fucking they're set, yeah. they're set up to a what's it called? A, polygraph. A, a polygraph. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and like you got the the hot interrogation lights on yep. you, uh, and you're just not allowed to leave until uh, they feel that your remorse is is true and real. Well, it's not just the interrogation lights; this is literally the words. They have this like rear projection thing going on where the words mm-hmm. that you're reading are actually kind of being blasted into your face, which makes for some really good like visual moments in what we haven't named yet is called the break room <laughs> it's just like the yeah. first time the break room comes up and it has that ominous tone in it it's just very good you're like oh what the fuck is that um it's very fun um but yeah like when when she realizes who she is that she is uh an egan and she is the central piece of evidence to show that like severance is safe and it's a good thing because you know, we ate our own dog food, uh, etc. Et when she realizes that this is the purpose of all this and this is who she is on the outside, which has been a looming question of like, what if our outside personas are not good people? Mm-hmm. And she's the only one who discovers that, like, clearly and obviously this is true. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so she recites the catechism now. Uh, but this time, like, and for the only time in the series, we hear it with full force, uh, with the weight of belief behind it, because Helly is realizing that this other persona that she has, Helena Egan is this like force for like pure evil um, in, in the world. And she sets to with the, like this final episode is so well, like timed. It is all everyone's on the clock as Dylan is holding the gate open, basically to allow mm-hmm. them to uh, be their severed selves out in the world. 
And Who so thought those glasses this, were like, going to fall off? I spent the entire episode being like, those fucking glasses are going to fall they're off. Always gonna have to go over they're, they're always too low. They're always too low on his fucking nose. Like, why is he wearing them like that? And the camera is so close on his face when, I, like, the brief times that it cuts back to him. And, and like, those glass. I'm just, he's going to sneeze or there's going to be a sweat beat. And I'm just like, and I, I love the fact that it doesn't. Like, I think it's, I think it's great. They find another way to, to, to cause tension in that scene. But I just kept looking at those glasses and I was so worried for them. <laughs> it, um, one of my other favorite things about this is that final episode is I, I'm pretty sure shot in, it is real time. We are watching it in real time. There is not like simultaneous events happen. Like we are not seeing two scenes where it's like, okay, these th- two things happen at the same time. It is Minute 41 is with, minute 32 is with Mark S. And then minute 43 is back with Helena, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's, they, it's, they modeled it after, Stiller said that they modeled it after, like, the editing after um, the show 24, you know, right. like, in an attempt to, sh- to show, like, a sequence in, if, 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 if at least for the, the viewer feels like real time. Yeah. Um, and so even if it's not, like, actually, like, the, the trick that they pull off 100% conveys the sense that it is all happening and cross-cutting in, in parallel in a, in a yeah. way that just – they generate just so much natural tension out of that yeah. even when sequences aren't like themselves. Like the, the events happening on screen are not tense. It, it's tense because of that that sense of uh, momentum they're getting out mm-hmm. of the editing. Yeah. The uh, the final episode does have that sense. Of like a, Yeah, the timer counting down uh, and it's – Beep boop. Beep yeah, boop. It's utterly <laughs> excruciating, uh, especially because – they all can't help but waste time because mm-hmm. they're trying to get oriented in their lives, but also like they're kind of like, particularly in Mark's case, he's kind of fascinated by like, oh, he uh, unique among them. Helly realizes that she's sort of in the heart of the enemy camp. Uh, Irving is a solitary painter and is like immediately begins making a beeline to find Bert. But Mark is the only one who emerges into a complex social situation mm-hmm. and like learns where he sits in relation to like a family uh, in the outside world. <laughs> when and so, he says, how's our baby is such so a, funny. I don't know if he meant to say that to get information or not, but it was yeah, such 100%. a hundred <laughs> percent. The way he is trying to like guess at the right language to use. <laughs> and action. Yeah. Accidentally is like, so this is my wife. No. Okay. My sister. <laughs> and, and even just the way the character says that is really like, there are ways that like, you know, you show and don't tell and yada, yada, but like, like especially with that character in particular, they do a really good job of like a ca- like the character gets information and they find a way to like repeat it to the audience in a way that feels like very natural and like you're like rooting for the character as they're putting it together as well. Um, just really, really smart. Um, God, I also think that um, I lost it. Oh, the other thing, uh, I wanted to wrap back around to Irving's real world persona. Um, Irving's real world persona is. Irving is the only character in the show that show that is seen to be experiencing bleed, uh, bleed yes. between his two lives and cutting to <laughs> uh, real, not real, like outside world Irving opening up, like having a chest that is just full of information about the inner workings of Lumen, because it is obviously this ex-military dude who was pretty traumatized um, and then went to Lumen but has found a new cause in one painting this this one specific scene that he remembers from Lumen thousands of Which, times. How in his did home. he see it? Because it's the hallway that Miss Casey sent to retirement through. We only that, it's, it's not the break room hallway; it's a different hallway. 
that's the experimental not, floor. Yeah, that's it's not, not the, retirement. That's the testing floor. They say um, we're going to send you down to testing. Which is what he is. He's been there the longest of anyone we know in the show. He is a first generation severed. He's been there for over seven years. Um, and so it is. the show is looking at like, how does this bleed affect both sides of the character? Because it makes Irving, uh, outside Irving, one, make these paintings, but two, start investigating the company because he's just obsessed with like, what the fuck is actually happening in there? Because I have these senses and feelings and half memories that I have to then execute on. And then inside Irving just sees paint dripping from the ceiling mm-hmm. in these like super uncomfortable hallucinations all but the time. But it's clearly staying, like, well, I guess they, they sort of purposely don't give us a lot of information about him because that's will probably be very important later. But I think it's, he, his Audi is choosing to leave the innie in almost perhaps as a means of acquiring information about what's what's going on. Like, right. his Audi could choose to end this, like, could go pursue Lumen, but not also keep going to, to Lumen. But, like, obviously that is some sort of means means to an end. Mm-hmm. Another thing like generating so much suspense here is the fact that Miss Cobell in her persona as Mrs. Solvig, <sighs> uh, oh, Mark's fucking neighbor, baby is at a heart party. attack. <laughs> yeah. And so he is trying to not, he is trying to mask the fact that like, he has no fucking idea who like outside Mark is supposed to be. And meanwhile, Mark is, Cobell's only friend in this world is the fucked up thing is in the process of surveilling him and like insinuating into parts of his life to try to figure out like uh what his whole deal is like if there's if there's any like lapses in security she also finds herself at her lowest ebb uh for having had so many things go wrong on her watch uh she is fired and she's your position is taken and so she has nowhere to go but to accept mark outside Mark's invitation to attend Rickon's book party. Do we, do we get so, the sense, just as an aside, do we get a sense, yeah. do, do you all get the sense that she's doing this because the company is requiring or because she's made it no. her entire purpose? Yeah. Like, That's separate. the thing. She is a true believer. Like right. her, her whole obsession is like Mark is her experiment. She is her, he is her special experiment to see how far she can push the severance technology to see if you can kill a man's wife, to see if you can kill a man's wife and then show him that wife every single day and see if there will be a break. That's why she gets so frustrated when um, Gemma is like, the eight hours I spent with you were the happiest hours of my of my life. And it cuts to her face and she just cuts the audio. And she's like, nope, go back to the testing floor. So do we think and then the, the company doesn't know that she is his wife? I mean, they know that she's his wife, but I think Cobell is playing her own game. Cobell is playing her own game. I'm just saying, like, pushing... if the board is is tired of her shenanigans, yeah. What 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 an early red flag have been? I think you. I th- did. Like, how did you get this? His wife in here. I mean, uh, to begin. I'm sure that that'll be a big thing in season two. But like, that is one of those like, hmm. You know, like I know she's running her own, her own like experiment on 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 the sly, but like a big tell on that some shit's going on would be like did you manufacture you know well, a killing the company uh, is fine with her doing it that's the thing is that like she's doing her own experiments on the side and the company is mostly fine with those experiments until they start causing problems well, um, and, and also- until they start revealing issues that the company really does not want to like right. like this is classic she identifies a safety issue now mind you is a safety issue in an evil procedure that could shut the <laughs> entire procedure down but she does identify like this thing has an error rate and is returning results that you do not like recognize. Like she is the first to realize 
Petey, like, stopped being severed. Like, mm-hmm. the, like Petey managed to gather in some way, shape, or form the two halves of his memory back together uh, before, like, the side effects, like, killed him. And the company's response to that is not thank you for the warning. The side it effects is, didn't kill him. Tell us that. The side effects didn't kill Petey, right? No, yes, I mean, they like... Did. I'm like the side sh- effects from being un like having it undone uh with because he meets up with in my a, in a, implication yeah. was that they took pd out no, no no the scientist who made the pro who designed the severance project who is the surgeon who did it is the only person who knows how to undo it right and then that wasn't for the company that was her own thing because she is finds what she's, she's doing turned. morally reprehensible yeah. And right, also, right. Petey freaked out and ran away. She's like, Petey, like, Petey wouldn't have had his bad side effects if he had stayed in my care and, like, continued doing what I was telling him. But Petey, once he realizes what's happened, immediately off like a shot, goes and finds Mark to be like, buddy, like, there's things you got to know about this. Uh, you're the only person I can, I can tell about this. And then Petey ends up in the fugue, wandering off uh until like a stroke kills him yeah um but like See, somebody doesn't take him out I that's think the, the part that's the like part that i wrong. read as like they fat they finally caught up with him and took him out and made it look like a stroke no no i, I, I she genuinely says that yeah the, the the doctor's like he he was he didn't he did not do what she wanted him to do right, he, he right. ran off and i read that um, as that, that's the part where i was like i read that as that's why he was having issues with the reintegration but ultimately what actually kills him is the company catching up with him i don't think but, i don't think it's like a bomb in your head thing i think it was genuinely like the the psychic and like neurological damage inflicted by both the severance procedure and then the sort of unfinished grafting of the two like brain halves is is what kind of what kind of killed him but either way um like cobell realizes severance has flaws and they're dangerous here in the company's like no it doesn't we don't want to hear this and so she's doing these experiments they're willing to let her continue doing them but also things begin to go wrong in her watch and she's starting to raise questions that they do not want asked uh, because they really want this to be ready for release. What do you mean? This is what do you mean? This is still a beta candidate. Uh, this is this is 1.0. It's done. We got we got Heli out there uh, about to reveal it to the world. Yeah, I also think that um, I mean, Cobell's like character is 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 as much as she is um, the, you know, corporate you know the corporate mad scientist she is also like again in a similar way to Catherine halsey fulfilling the role of like an abusive parent she loves all of her little creations and wants absolute control over them it's why she loves mark so much and why she's so obsessed with mark is because he is her special little boy who she's very mean to but because she knows he can be better and she wants to see if she can make the perfect creation through emotional abuse because that is all she has ever known because she grew up in the egan system um I think is like a, a a pretty strong, um, like character trait is her relationship with the yeah. with the innies and the deeply broken one that she has. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, when she tumbles, the fact that Mark is not Mar- like that severed Mark is out here because he accidentally calls her a Mrs. Cobell. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> oh, and immediately I, I stood up uh, when that happened. 
uh, immediately. Like the the race against time thing is she is racing to uh, the event to stop Heli. Milchik is racing to break in. And she maybe the- has a baby the whole time. Like when I got when I I, I turned to my wife and she, I was like, what did she do with the baby? She said, well, she probably just wait a minute. She wouldn't bring it with. I was like, well, I think I'd be crying in the car. But the show is clearly not telling us on purpose <laughs> because who knows what this fucking woman is capable of at this point. And you do believe she's capable of anything. I mean, that's yeah, a, a, a great thing. Like the the groundwork she's laid with this character is like is very clear. She's good with kids. She's a sweet so like when she's in her nanny persona, she's really good at it. But would she uh, toss that baby behind her back absolutely. to get back to the office? Hun- like you would. Hundred percent. Like when she leaves uh, the manual transmission car uh, in drive and just bails out, (laughs) and uh, it begins to and it starts to roll, and I'm like, that baby's going in a river. Fuck, (laughs) this is is gonna be dark. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, it's like, and at the last possible minute, Mark sees a picture of his family from when his wife was alive uh in in his sister's house and realizes that's miss casey who he has just seen and his his sister just told him oh yeah in in like the regular world you're a widower and you you've not been the same guy since you lost your wife and he realizes like that woman is alive and just (laughs) as milchick breaks in to break the uh connection uh that dylan's been holding open uh, he comes out screaming, "She's alive!" Uh, to a room, people who who knows what they will take from that. Um, I, I'm glad that the show. I was a little nervous when Holly's getting out to go on stage, and she gets threatened. That they were clearly setting up, like, "Oh, all right." Ugh, like lesser shows would have then she would have got and 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 you know what happens is a threatening of her friends, like, "Hey." You're down there. You're still going to be down there. We're going to make things miserable for those people that you care about. Um, and it seemed to like really tee up like, well, she's going to go out there, give the milk toast CEO speech and like, oh, we're just going to punt on the the public finding out about this to another season. And I was glad that, you know, it backs up a lot of the like the conviction that this the storytelling has had to this point. But she still goes out and who knows how that lands if they try yeah. to cover it up. Like I, my guess is it doesn't like crumble the company immediately, no. but they'll find they a way to, to, to hide that. But I was glad that the character got to have that beat because I was so worried that that the reason they had the threat occur was so they could pull that away from the audience. And like, that could be something that happened later. And clearly they're going to have to do more work in order to actually take down Lumen. But I was glad the character got to have that moment. And then as an aside to that, when, when Mark finds the baby, it's such a small beat, but it made me laugh so hard. But Mark finds the baby, but then one like one of the dirtbag friends comes in and says, like, I found, found the baby. baby. <laughs> I found the baby. Picks it up and brings it out. I think it was the same dirtbag friend that from the earlier party. the no yes. the no at the party, party said maybe they shouldn't announce the baby here. It would take away from the book. And it's just uh, also uh. the same dirtbag friend who is like asks Mark if he was a history professor and then is like, oh yeah. Did you know that they didn't call it World War One? It was a faux pas to call it World War One during the war. And then Mark is like, e- "Yeah, because <laughs> World War Two hadn't happened yet." <laughs> and it's just like such a good, it's just such a good joke about a specific class of person that I think is is very funny. Yeah, it is like all of Rickon's friends are like Portlandia refugees. Uh, oh in, my in god! Terms of just like Bob. their vibe. <laughs> that is an- 
excellent observation. That is an excellent observation. You were right. You were right. Yeah, it's but like yeah, the the ending is like they do a great job of uh setting these charges off in the foundation of the uh at least the show's conception, right? Like the fact that Mark at least on some level is going to have this huge uh like at least his severed persona now realizes what has been done to his outside persona. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Helly managed to at least get before the cameras and say severance is bullshit and evil. Uh, and they're go Yeah. Like it blows up its own status quo while not yeah. actually removing like the basic structural element of <laughs> the two halves and like how they accomplish sort of like a flashback storytelling structure. Um, so it's like, it's, it moves everything forward very meaningfully, but not so much that you can't, like not imagine that like season two will open with them back in the office uh p- putting numbers away one of my favorite haunting things from helly's thing uh from helly not my favorite things from helly jesus one of my favorite haunting moments from helly's uh like uh speech at the end is that everyone la- everyone thinks when she says my name is helly r and i'm in an innie everyone yeah. thinks it's a joke and like that you hear the audience burst into raucous laughter and it is like it is ghoulish and like extremely well delivered. Um, well, cause right before that, when she has the encounter in the bathroom with her father and they have an exchange over um, when the, the, any, you know, attempted to, to take her life. And uh, it's like, I can't believe that person did that to you. Right. Like the, like he says that idiot, that sense of c- contempt they have yeah. for these less, these conceived lesser versions they don't even of themselves. They don't consider it like it's, it, you know, the show presents it as like two halves of a self, like these people like who are taking advantage of it, or at least some of them like, like, like Helly are, these aren't people like they are like, they are creations, they uh, manifestations uh, that can be exploited. Yeah. And I think you, you see a, a through line from that being how they talk about what an innie is. And then the audience laughing at it, because that is a through line of the, con- like the, contempt they have for they're not people like they're just they're just useful creations right um i think that's really well delivered i also think that one of the things i I find really strong about the show is that um the characters do have consistencies across like there are consistencies across the two persona um that you can like come to it it's part of the show's thesis right is that like for all we do to separate the two halves of ourselves or all capitalism does to separate the two halves of people into these like you know different selves there is at the core if you work hard enough and you look really closely you can find consistent things about people that all of their performances lean into right or all of their performances kind of exhibit um that i think is like pretty well delivered um yeah like Marx is his like genuine care for other people. Like regardless of his depression, Marx's whole thing is that like, ah, I do have to try for other people that I know. And the only thing that stops him from doing more for his innie is that he doesn't recognize him as a person yet. Um, and like, that is the thing that also motivates inside Mark is his care for his friends. He does not give a shit about himself. He throws himself in the break room time and time again, but there is this like, something in him that is an echo of outside mark and the two kind of interact with each other in really interesting ways yeah um and exhibit the same basic personality traits in interesting ways just as a quick thing about mark too um 
they tease us so long before he finally gets a chance to talk to uh, Dev and his sister. And the thing I love about that chat, when you talk about like they're being an essential, they're being an essential person to an extent. Something that I love about that scene is the way it is also a chance for Devon to speak to her brother who is not encumbered by this fog of like grief and alcoholism uh, mm-hmm. that he's been in in the last year. And she's able to say things to him about himself that like clearly she's had like tap dance around with with like she can be honest about what she sees him going through and honest about like how it feels in a way that she can't with her actual brother in in some mm-hmm. ways and I, like mm-hmm. i love that beat it's such a sweet moment of like the fact that it provides catharsis for her like finally getting to talk about like oh finally a mark wants to know what's going on with him this is like finally i get to talk about it mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 really well done i think the show's emotional core is just yeah. is is is, is yeah. excellent and like the emotional core does so much to support the allegorical and metaphorical space that they're playing in. Like the fact that like, what is the work? The work is looking at numbers that cause you emotions. Like that is, that is what they're testing is to see if they can make people who can endure extreme emotional stress and normalize extreme emotional stress in workplace conditions. And so when Heli is first encountering the scary numbers and freaks out, it is both a cool character moment for her, but also expands the allegorical space of like what the show understands work to be. And I think they, that like Are they really the, scary numbers? Yeah. Yes. They they cause I think they I think that genuinely I think that they are testing what does cause emotional. mean? Like they're like it, it, it's they've psychologically set a trap for them where they that's them believe. this thing I wondered is like have they conditioned these folks like to mask some piece of information? Like is the work real and it is just like all the identifying information is like filed off somehow and they have conditioned employees to work in the dark, not seeing what they're actually mm-hmm. doing, or is it just a science experiment about like operant conditioning? Yeah, I think I think it is a way to see how much stress they can put these people under. And that's like that is why like Cobell is in charge of it is because she's in a weird, abusive monster. That's why Milchik is doing like part of the corporate persona stuff is to see how far people can be pushed before they break or before they become something that the company does not want them to be. Um, And like, I also think this is part of the show's like religious undertones and it's like use of Mm -hmm. um, faith. I think it is like one of the things it does is. Well, it does two things. One, it undercuts the, it in some ways undercuts the critique of capitalism at the core of the show. Because it, instead of being about capitalism broadly, you can go, oh, it's about this corporation and their evil cult. And I think that like, that's a, that's a criticism you can make is that by centering it around this religiosity, this the it becomes about how Lumen is bad as opposed to how the system it exists within is is problematic. But I think that at the same time, it ends up simultaneously weakening and strengthening the show's central argument that this is beyond just Lumen and that this is like the structure of capitalism and the system itself. I mean, that may, that yeah. it also may just be a smart storytelling and like, how do I get a mass audience to mm-hmm. like, how do you, how do you, how do you, I mean, it's part of, you know, sci-fi and stuff and fantasy is good. It's like, how do I launder the, these ideas through something else that gets people and like, I, I think it could be a case of like the religious sci-fi elements like right. allow the critique of capitalism to like get through even if even as like forwarding it all the time would get but even un- insufferable how, to the audience how do but I even get apple then, tv to let me run this show and the answer <laughs> is you make it a weird cult well but 
that's also like a fucking trope of corporations. Like, yes. Right. Like it's a thing that people hear about corporations is how they get culty. Right. And so I don't think that exists outside of the capitalist structure. It is just one way that corporations structure themselves in order to like control their workers. Right. It's just another right. function of capitalism. Uh, so, yeah, I don't. Oh, sorry, Kata. No, no, it's okay. You can... well, I was going to say, I don't think that it is like designed to undercut. I don't think it's like designed to take blame away. And like, yes, you're right. Corporations do do have that like culty stuff but there is a i know that there is a person who reads that as the specific corporation is bad and there is an argument to be made that that is the show's like that is the work that's happening there um and i think that that is an incorrect reading but it is worth acknowledging directly that is all i was trying to say i'm sorry yeah there's um Um, i also really love this is like a, a small thing that i noticed do y'all remember those four like humors or whatever no. Uh the like uh what was it? Whoa. Uh oh, I don't remember the actual like, I remember the concept and I was like, wow, old timey medicine shit. Yeah, okay. Uh that's those are the the four labels that they're using to organize the the data by. It is top mm. to bottom, like all the same verbiage, right? Like the the um oh, fucking what what was it called? Uh yeah. The, the four boxes, the, like, malice is the, the one that makes you feel rage. Uh, woe is the one that makes you feel sad. Uh, I forget there's the other ones. But basically, the, the point being that the way that they've presented information to these people is top to bottom using the same language, which is why people like Irving, who seek meaning in things, will, like, latch onto that with that religious fervor, right? Is like, the idea that they're trying to push forward, which I thought was really yeah. a good little uh, uh, way to present that. So we need to wrap it here because we got some uh, we have we have to go to the severed floor and stare <laughs> at uh, video game trailers that give us weird feelings, um, which is two because I could talk about more about this, like yeah. also over season two, Mark is an accomplice to a murder that happens that we did not talk about. But like that scientist who invented severance was like, I want to hit undo on this uh, to maintain secrecy and open up this possibility at the end of the season just beat the like did mm-hmm. she shoot or beat in the brains of beats in the brains of the, the yeah. baseball bat yeah it's really the, uh, security guard uh at yep. the at the company um so like there's a lot of there's a lot of really interesting stuff uh happening in both layers of the story and uh i cannot believe uh that i have to wait for season two uh to to see how all this plays out but it, it did all this stuff got me extremely on board. Uh, a, and a, like for this, this writer, like the creator of the show, nothing else nothing, is on their IMDb. Nothing. Ben Stiller like is friends with this guy. Read like a specs script or a pilot script and was like, "You should make, you should make this into a show." And then he like shepherded it along, yeah. amazing, um, and, and got it made. Dan Erickson, <laughs> yeah, Dan Erickson is the creator and like has uh, credits on all the scripts and yeah, just like. No, it's not to say that like he sat down, wrote for the first time, and made severance. That's not how writing works. Like, and that's how productions no. work. But it is, it is, it is completely wild to look at his page on like IMDb and be like, you. Sometimes you can see like, oh, they were like in a writer's room on another show, and then you get, you know what I mean. And it's just like, no, I was friends with Ben Stiller, and he he saw this cool script I had, and we made it. And it's just, 
It fucking yeah. rules. That's cool. It reads as it reads as there was a novelist, uh, and that novelist is friends with Ben Stiller, and then it's. I mean, that's what Faulkner did, right? Faulkner had no experience writing for film, and then he became a prolific like film writer because people were just like, "Yeah, you're Faulkner. Like, we can give him a, give him a fucking script. He'll make a movie. It's fine." Like, like. <laughs> And then he was like, that became his day job where he's like, yeah, I make these fucking movie scripts. I hate this shit, but I will, I do it so I can continue to like write novels. Uh, Kato found training materials. If we want to work at macro data refinement, yeah. uh, they, they put no. out, if people are watching the show and don't know, if you search for the Lexington letter, they've put out like a, a pamphlet and series of letters that are exist in this world that is got some really neat stuff in it we don't have time to like go over it or anything but it's a very cool extra bit of world building all right so that will do it for this week's waypoints we hope you've enjoyed the break uh please be sure to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice if it allows such a thing uh i think we're a five-star podcast but it's not for me to say uh our music was too mellow slide asleep and uh we will be back again with waypoint radio on monday until then Fuck capitalism. Go home. Sonos only charged me for one order. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. But also capitalism is good. <laughs> Who's Capitalism gives you deals. Oh, God. All right, now I'm good to go. I've got time. That is up. I'm ready. All right. I'm in the saddle. I'm rearing and ready to go. All right, shall we clap at 39? No. Because I started my recording, didn't go to time, that is. Let's go at 46. 46. All right. And now I must use my fancy zones to arrange arrange my windows. You know, they're fancy when you have to tell other people about them to make yourself feel good about them. I think if I downloaded the fancy zone things, I think they're neat. Hey, I think they're neat, Patrick. They are neat. Oh, no, what's but. this? <laughs> Gotta start my fancy zones, f- immediately followed by, oh, no, what's this? <laughs> what? what have my fancy zones rot? Is that Kato's problem when he's when he's always saying, oh, no? He's just been in the fancy zone the entire time? We just haven't, <laughs> haven't been aware of it? All right, so uh, the way I would say we're going to structure this is... More general reactions and broad discussion of the show in the first half, and then we can start getting more like talking about the specific revelations 
uh, and reveals that start unloading in the final few episodes in the second half. Can I start with the uh, Sonos like, update? Because I, I want, I, I just need to explain. It'll take five minutes. Give me your Sonos update now. No. <laughs> I already did it on the podcast. Like, I, ha- I want to continue the story. Yeah, I'm saying, like, do oh. it. Like, oh. I would say let's, like, paste it in at the end. Okay. Um, but, but then I if am... no, nobody wants to hear the severance pod, they're not going to hear the Sonos update. Oh, that's very true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep it short. I just want to get people an update on me being extremely cheap. Well, I had a whole, well, I had a whole intro written, but now, you know what? I'll add a little. Can we just do a Sonos update and then you can do it? Okay. 